Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, this is strange. I haven't done radio since Wednesday, and I can't remember the last time that happened, probably last year. Uh, we did the same thing. I took uh, four days off. And so it's, uh, it's always an experience. I, mean, I, I feel strange after taking two days off. You know, I do Saturday and Sunday. It's like, wait a minute. Uh, is everything in the right place? I you know, got my water, you know, and the windows are closed against, you know, garage trucks going or garbage trucks going by. Uh, what else can I do? Yeah, I got the notebook. Yeah, you know, phone. Okay, yep, I guess I'm all set. Good. You know, keyboard on the left side, left hand, uh, mouse on the right side, right hand. <laughs> so things are pretty much organized as usual. So that's um, so we're all set to go here. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Mine was uh, pretty good, pretty eventful. You know, but it's, it's been an interesting, uh, interesting time here at, uh, at, at the Action Radio Central. A lot's going on. Um, we still have uh, things happening with uh, uh, me being a, a technical advisor uh, or, or I think other, whatever the term is called now, partner, strategic partner, something like that, uh, to this movie called The Falcon. And so you can look up The Falcon, and I'll be getting more and more information on that as, uh, as I find out from uh, Mario, the producer. He's going to be here tomorrow. So he'll be here tomorrow at 9 a.m. Central Time. So we're going to hear about the movies. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. So that'd be 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central, uh, 8 a.m. Mountain, uh, 7 a.m. Pacific time. So even you folks on the West Coast can be awake for that. You can talk to a real-life movie producer. So Action Radio is going Hollywood. This is really exciting to me. And so we'll see what happens, see what I can do to help. But it's a, a constitutional, political, action, thriller film. Uh, and so it's, it's, I can't, I'm not going to reveal a whole lot of details because I want to make sure that I don't you know, say things that, that Mario doesn't want to say yet. Uh, because I'm, I know a fair bit about it now. It's kind of cool. And I'm learning more all the time. So, but we're going to be involved. And because uh, of the fact that uh, we are the only citizen uh, legislative um, entity you know, connected to a radio show in the world, as far as I know, that puts us in a unique position to be advisors because we're the pioneers here. So anybody that's involved with Action Radio, that means even you, you, know, you folks just listening. I mean, you're involved because you're listening. Um, I'm, I'm urging you to share the shows, uh, share our bills especially, and, and take part. This is a participation show. This is not just a listening show. But because of our unique knowledge, because we're doing things that have never been done, because we're breaking ground everywhere worldwide, um, including uh, our, our Australian Bill of Individual Rights and things like that, um, this opportunity has presented itself to me you know, as someone who can now advise people to do uh, in a movie, in a story, uh, a very hopefully accurate historical story, uh, but still a story nonetheless, um, how, to, how to do things that they might not have thought of before. And so I've already been able to do that. So that's really exciting. That's the first thing. Um, second thing, I, I've heard there's something called Giving Tuesday. I'm going to have to start a major fundraising effort here at Action Radio, and that includes sponsors. Um, that includes um, hopefully donors, you know, all those folks that were donating to political campaigns. Okay, you're done for two years. <laughs> you know, uh, did it work for you? Did you get what you wanted? Did you get what you expected? Did, did all those, uh, you know, the, 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 you know the, the millions or even billions of dollars that were spent, uh, did you get the change you wanted? I'd be, I'd be kind of curious. You know, I'm hoping to meet some, some donors uh, because I want them to contribute to Action Radio. Not as much as you need to contribute to campaigns. No, we don't need that much money, uh, but we do need some. And it would be really great uh, to have donors, you know, between the elections, between now and 2024, uh, before they all hit you up for money. Uh, if you want to, you know, try something different, try a cause for freedom, you know, try an, an entity that's actually writing legislation that Congress is so far incapable of writing. That's why we do it. 
You know, the fact that they don't do it is why we do it. You know, the fact that they cannot write vaccine product liability because the big pharma wouldn't let them. Isn't that sad? (laughs) They can't even write a bill. Uh, Something they know that it would be a good idea because their donors won't let them. Okay. Well, of course, my donors, uh, I'm I'm still going to do what I do. And so if you donate to Action Radio, if you sponsor Action Radio, uh, keep in mind that this is still a principled, direct, freedom-oriented, liberty-oriented operation. And so that uh, the folks that are going to come help us out are people that understand that we're, we're the pioneers and we're going to keep pioneering. We're not going to be restricted. Uh, there's going to be no strings attached. You, you can't, you know, help me and then tell me what I can do because then I can't do what I do best, which is, you know, in many cases improvise, you know, make stuff up, try new things, uh, break rules. You know, that's a, that's a big part of why I'm not on a, a regular commercial radio station because they have rules and those rules make no sense to me. They, 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 as they put in economic terms, they stifle, you know, innovation. They, they preclude, you know, advancement. They, uh, they stay still. They're comfortable with the status quo. They're very conservative in that respect. Conservative is actually, the word comes from to conserve. In other words, to keep what is. And so you look at the deep state, they're trying to conserve their power. They want to keep what is. They don't want to advance. So conservatives really aren't conservative. <laughs> this is one of the ironies. We should actually talk about that on the show sometime. Conservatives are not conservatives. They're not. They're activists. You know, they're patriots, they're independents, they're, uh, you know, libertarians, they're, uh, you know, real Republicans. They're, they're all kinds of different people, but they're not conservatives because to conserve is to conserve what is, which means, you know, the Marxists are conservatives in that respect because they're trying to conserve what is. They are doing uh, uh, all kinds of uh, things to, uh, you know, radic- conserve their power. <laughs> in fact, they're, they're, you know, and so, you know, what's happening there. So it's, it's really quite interesting. Uh, the, the definitions, the terms don't matter uh, as it seems. Anyway, so Giving Tuesday. So we're going to start. We're going to start doing some major um, things here. And because I want to reach out. I mean, we, we know how to do action radio now. We, we know how to write bills. I know how to get folks on the air and, and, and teach people and coach. And uh, what I don't know how to do, in fact, if anybody wants to help me out, is to attract large fundraisers or large funding you know, organizations. Now, I've said this before, that uh, if we could take you know, what Heritage spends on their luncheons, you know, we could change the country. <laughs> if we could change the country, we could change the world uh, in terms of freedom and liberty. Uh, and so that's going to be a fascinating project. But we're going to start that. We've got a couple of years now. It's time to branch out. It's time to expand. You know, we, we know how to do what we do. We've pretty much, you know, got the workings of Action Radio. The website needs a little work, too, but I'm going to find a, another webmaster uh, after our, our, my very special friend, Eric Colley, um, who passed away uh, when he'd done like 95% of everything I asked of him to create a website that we could use, you know, to advance um, – advance the cause of freedom. So, so, you know, bless Eric, uh, Eric Holly, everything he did. We wouldn't be where we are without him. And uh, there's several, you know, is, this is, you know, Thanksgiving. Let's, let me give some thanks to Eric. Let me give some thanks to um, Dr. Peter Pry, who was on my show almost four years. You know, he, he started back at WBY. I'm not sure when he joined us at Blog Talk Radio, but this guy was one of the, the most knowledgeable, preeminent EMP and nuclear weapons experts in the world. And he was on our show every week. I mean, it was an incredible privilege. So what I'm in the process of doing is, is getting all the links to all of his shows. And so anytime he was on, and he was on with some incredible people like uh, General McInerney, you know, the person that told us how the election fraud was going to happen in 2020. And so he was on. And so he got us a lot of just amazing connections and different people. Peter Pry was invaluable to the show. And he passed away in August. And compiling all the links to his show, I can make those available, but they're going to be available to, the, I think, the Center for Security Policy, where he used to work, 
preparing it for them. I'm, I'm making this for his family. And this is, you know, this is what they say, a labor of love and respect for somebody that I absolutely respected. And so that's in the process, too. So all these things are happening. I might do this for other people, too. I should tell mostly about this. Jonathan's going to be on the top of the next hour. That He's been on for years, too. No, no, he's fine. <laughs> I'm not saying that anything's happening to Jonathan. But it's just the point that certain people uh, have been on for a long time. And it would be very interesting to uh, have them or, or me you know, in my spare time, right, um, compile all of their shows. Because it's one thing when you hear people individually during the week. It's something else entirely when you hear them uh, in extended view and you can sort of see patterns and you see over time and you see, see what develops with them. So uh, that should be interesting too. Anyway, back to Giving Tuesday. So if you want to give to Action Radio uh, or if you want to send me people or if you have ideas or if you know somebody that owns you know, large car dealerships, <laughs> um, uh, law firms, <laughs> you, know, you know, conservative foundations, uh, any corporation, uh, corporations that aren't usually on um, talk radio because the leftist woke bosses won't let them. So gun companies, you know, uh, emergency food prep places, all, all you, know, you know, veterans companies, all the, all the big, you know, the good folks out there. Uh, so that's what we're looking for. Anyway, so just a couple of sites right now. I should probably do this more often, but so we've got the paypal.com slash paypal me slash action radio. That's one place. Uh, that's especially for uh, if, you're, if I'm going to make an ad for you. Uh, you want to go to paypal.com slash paypal me slash action radio. Uh, I have to redo the site a little bit. I think I've got it up to date, but uh, give send go.com slash action radio. Give send go.com slash action radio will help us as well. And there's another thing. Uh, Piaki actually told me something called Gab Pay. It's an alternative to PayPal. And so it, it's, a, it's a Christian pay service uh, as opposed to PayPal, which if they don't like your politics, they'll, they'll fine you like $2,500. Well, that, you know, that's, that doesn't work. <laughs> It doesn't work for me, right? So we're looking into Gab Pay. Uh, so that's how you can help. Um, a couple of things, too. We do have live chat. If anybody wants to type in a message from anywhere in the world, you can only do it when we're live, obviously. That's why it's live chat. And you'll find the directions for that at the bottom of our broadcast page. Uh, and the other thing is our Skype line. And uh, the Skype line, um, I just checked it. Nobody's on. But, uh, you know, if you want to get on and if you want to call in from anywhere in the world, you can do that while we're live. And there's a Skype address. You go down to the, I think it's the third section on our broadcast page. Uh, it's live colon period CID period FDDBAC 53A2909DE1. <laughs> okay. No, you're not expected to remember that. Just go to our broadcast page and copy and paste, and, uh, and that'll get you there. So a lot more things happening. You know, we, and we still got, I'm going to start again, founding moments. I want to start to do our, our Federalist Papers again. Uh, and so there's a lot, this is kind of like a recap of the year. You know, I've been taking stock the last few days of Action Radio on where we are and, and where this needs to go. And where we need to go is where we're going. The preeminent worldwide citizen legislative institute, really, uh, think tank, foundation, uh, and we're not, but we're, we're, we're definitely for profit. And we, uh, you know, I believe in profit. I believe in the profit motive. I believe in acquiring property. I believe in uh, having fun with the fruits of our labors. You know, our product is freedom and liberty. It really is. I mean, that's the, well, actually our service. Our service is freedom and liberty and the ability of anybody to write their own laws and uh, teach you how to get them into the, the appropriate legislature, uh, teach everybody how to advocate, how to lobby. Lobbying is a good thing. Okay. It's not a bad thing. Lobbying is a good thing. It just depends on your motivation. If you're lobbying to get exemptions from laws so you can make billions of dollars and kill people, no, that's not a good thing. Right? If you're lobbying to create more freedom for, for the greatest number of people that you can uh, based on what you're working on, then that is a good thing. So, so lobbying, it really depends on how you're doing and what you're doing and what your motivation is. If your motivation is liberty, yeah, it's a great thing. If your motivation is special interest legislation, which is what most of uh, the bills are, then that's not a good thing. 
because you're not doing something for you know you know creating uh, laws, good laws for the uh, the general welfare. And I don't, I don't mean you know welfare laws. I'm talking about the the welfare of everybody, the the uh, the condition of everybody. So if you're not doing that, you're not doing good work. Okay. So if you're going to be in, if you're going to be in the legislation you know game as it were, then write good bills that that bring more freedom and take away the power of the special interests. And that's what we're looking at here. And those kind of lobbyists, absolutely. You know, I will train anybody. Uh, you know, of course, you might already be trained. You know, if you already know how to do this, go for it. If you have an organization that is teaching you how to lobby, go for it. You don't need my help. I am a firm believer in not reinventing the wheel. If somebody else is doing it and someone else is doing it better and someone else is working on projects, hey, listen, you, get, you, you got my support. I do not write bills that, uh, on areas that uh, are already being handled. <laughs> we have enough problems that aren't being handled. Uh, let's worry about that. So let's cover this, cover this, cover this. Uh, just a couple of things. We'll take a, a little break here and, and uh, read some stuff and get into our topic. Um, Dorothy can't make it today. Dorothy Diana, the, the sex and sensuality report. So we're going to move her to Wednesday for this week. So she'll be Wednesday at 9 a.m. Uh, Central Time. Speaking of announcements, another great thing. Diane K. Warner, uh, who's a friend of mine, uh, is going to be starting the new election integrity report. This is going to be fabulous. So Diane's going to start Thursday, Thursday at 9 a.m. So this is my first reporter for Thursday. Looking for a couple more. I've got some ideas. One person I want to bring back. Um, and so uh, Thursday is going to build up too. Thursday we're still uh, at a deficit from our world's greatest doctors panel. That's another thing I combined. <laughs> All 18 episodes of the world's greatest doctors panel with doctors Judy Mikovits, Brian Artis, Ben Marble, Jim Thorpe. You know, data expert John Cullen, all the other folks that joined us, Dr. Viglione, Dr. Uh, Molly James, uh, Dr. Angelina Farella, uh, Dr. Christian Northrup, uh, just various doctors that came by, special people that came by, Brandon House uh, from Lindell TV, Gregory Wrightstone from the CO2 Coalition. Uh, we had a hockey player. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot your name. Uh, actually, we had a couple of hockey players for some reason. I think Jim Thorpe's into hockey. So all these folks were there in this amazing panel. And people just dropped in. Oh, Priscilla. Uh, Priscilla from Grace Care, Priscilla Romans from Grace Care. Uh, she, she was on several times. And people just dropped in. Tiffany Prado, who's, uh, you know, she has a degree in manipulation, she says. She's a marketing person. And so all these folks came together in this incredible 18-week uh, series of episodes. And I'm going to make those available, um, unless we're going to make a book out of it. I don't know yet. We're going to see if that's in the works. But uh, those are some of the things we do here. And, again, you know, individually you don't see it, but when you see the big picture, you know, of what's going on. Uh, it, it's really pretty incredible. And I was, when I was putting together Dr. Peter Pry's episodes and I saw all these other people that we had talked to at the same time or the topics that we covered, you know, do this sometime. Just kind of scroll back through our, uh, our, our shows here at uh, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Just, just work your way backwards. Go, oh, I don't believe they talked about all that. I'm shocked. And I did it. <laughs> I'm right here every, every, every day, you know, doing this. And I'm still amazed at the amount of areas that we covered. It's really quite staggering. So, so that's it. Anyway, the, oh, yeah. So, um, so our last show last week, before I started thinking about Action Radio for four solid days, was uh, plus Thanksgiving. <laughs> that was kind of fun. Um, but we, I had a couple of recordings from WEBY. Now, I like to bring those WEBY recordings onto the show here because here they're podcasts. And in those days at WEBY, they weren't podcasting. They were recording the interviews, which was great. But once they were, once they'd aired, they'd aired, and you, you never heard them again. And so I've taken my interviews as my Action Radio Hour, not the regular show, not the regular two-hour drive time show uh, that I did. That's 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 WBY, uh, and they can have that. But my Action Radio Hour, my hour, <laughs> you know, uh, where I was able to talk to some of the most fascinating people in the country, and sometimes beyond the country, 
uh, those interviews I'm making available by replaying them here on uh, uh, Blog Talk Radio with full credit to WBY. Uh, and the folks that run at the time. But I'm editing those things. I take the the, uh, the commercials out, uh, take out the news breaks, take out most of the identifying stuff, except occasionally uh, you get a WEBY uh, phone number and WEBY ident. But that's okay. It, it, otherwise, it gets really choppy. And so those are the things that I've been able to leave in. So I'll go back to Wednesday's show. There were two fascinating people. One was Ben Garrison. Uh, ben Garrison, probably the premier editorial cartoonist in the country today. Uh, I had him on the show after I've been on two months, <laughs> a brand new radio guy, right? So I, mean, I got Ben Garrison. We had a fabulous conversation. It was really fun. And so that interview was uh, on last Friday, uh, last Wednesday show, excuse me. So that was you know, four days, five days ago now? I guess five days ago now. Um, the other one that was aired the same day was uh, Dr. Ben Redcross. He's a TV doctor. He's an alternative health practitioner. Um, I say that out of convention because to me it's just health practitioner, right? But uh, when I say that, people go, oh, so we got you know, just knuckling under to uh, Western petroleum medicine. And no, he's not. And so he was quite fascinating too. So I had those two big interviews and well, it's just me. <laughs> you know, no, nobody does a live show the day before Thanksgiving except me, <laughs> you know, so I was here. So I actually ended up playing, you know, sort of like a best of um, kind of thing anyway. So that worked out well. So that's what happened last week. And this week, you know, we're coming up on our anniversary, December 24th, Christmas Eve. It will be our four year anniversary here on Blog Talk. And the future, I am looking forward to the two most incredibly exciting two years leading up to when Trump uh, gets the presidency back for the third time. Uh, and that'll be fascinating to have happen. I'm thinking of uh, starting an Action Radio Trump 2024 uh, campaign page because I, I'm going to make no bones about this. This is not a show for journalists. We're not journalists. We are not watching things happen. We are making things happen. And so, you know, the number one person in the country today that can pull us away from the deep state uh, because he's been, you know, basically vaccinated, if you'll excuse the pun, uh, against, you know, the worst they can do. He's already seen the worst they can do. They raided his home. They impeached him several times. They have bogus investigations. The media hates him. You know, all the things that are going on against Trump. And yet he still was able to bring about the greatest prosperity uh, since probably Calvin Coolidge. Ronald Reagan did well, but I don't think it was as much as Trump did. Uh, certainly not as many people uh, and, and not as aggressively with, with like China and other places uh, and stemming the, the illegal alien flow, which we have to reverse, by the way. It's time to send the illegal aliens home. And so I'll be working. Hopefully I'll get connected with the Trump campaign directly. And so that's another goal uh, in the next little while, too. So I want to get directly connected with them so that we have Trump officials on on a regular basis and we're supplying them ideas. You know, this is where uh, this is a great opportunity for our legislation to go directly to the Trump campaign uh, to have that impact their campaign. You know, especially our bill that would take away the power of Congress to borrow money. That is an earth-shattering change. You know, you know it, it, it sounds easy to say, well, let's take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Well, don't you realize that means no more deficits? You don't need a balanced budget act. <laughs> this would do it, right? There's no inflation. There's no more printing of money beyond, uh, um, beyond what they take in. They, they, can, they can only print money based on what they have, you know, resources. They can't just make extra money. You know, just to print money for the sake of uh, quantitative easing or all these other things. So no inflation. The dollar increases. Uh, the economy, you know, gets a huge boost. Your savings get a boost. And the biggest part about it is that wealth transfers from the, the huge international banks and huge domestic banks and the government back to you because the value of your money increases. See, when the value of your money decreases, the government and the banks gain more power. The government gains more power because it actually lowers their debt because the dollar you know, a dollar that's worth less still has to be paid back at, at a dollar. It doesn't have to be paid back at a dollar plus interest. I mean, plus inflation. 
Uh, it does have to pay the interest, but it's just a dollar plus uh, the value of that dollar. So you borrow $100,000 today, and uh, you know, a year from now, it's only worth uh, $75,000 because you have 25% inflation. You know, you see that hundred thousand. You're still paying hundred thousand dollars, but the value has dropped twenty five percent. Well, that, that's again, they've stolen government stolen twenty five percent of the value by lowering the value of the money through inflation. Well, that's how they do it. And that's what quantitative easing is all about. I mean, we're going to talk economics here, and the, the rest of the hour, once I, I take a little break here. But that's what's going on. So if you if you eliminate borrowing, if you say, and, and actually printing, you know, because it's, it's both a borrowing and a printing elimination, right? So Congress has to deal with the amount of money that's out there with the actual wealth of the country. And they can only spend what they take in. Well, that, you know, that means the value of the money increases. Well, the value of the money increases, you don't have to make as many loans because now your money's worth more, right? Well, if you don't have to make any, as many loans, then the value, then the bank ability to make loans, in other words, their money transfers to you. Well, that's a good thing. Okay. So for all these reasons, we get deflation, we get increased value of the currency, we transfer money back to the people, the purchasing power increases, the prices drop, and everything you know, gets better. And all we have to do is prevent Congress from borrowing money. Well, that's easier said than done, but that's, that's the, the main thing to do. Anyway, so we're going to get a little bit of an economic chat. I think I've covered my, my basics. I've got more here. Jonathan, in the, in the second hour and the third hour, yeah, I don't really know yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it, it's one of those deals where I just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try and, you know, I, I got some articles below. I'll, I'll figure them out sometime. You know, it's just, this, is, this is improv radio. I like being uh, on the edge. <laughs> I like it. I had no idea what I was going to say this morning. The mic goes on. The clock says zero. It's time to talk. This is what happens. All right, let me uh, let me get back to y'all in, in just a little bit here. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements, and we have three minute live call ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Hmm, it sounds a little scratchy to me. I'm not sure, quite sure what's going on here, so I'm going to uh, try and refresh the screen. Hopefully I won't lose the show. <laughs> we'll find out in a second here, but I need to clear this up a little bit. Oh, looks like it's back. Let <laughs> me try something else playing here uh, and see if that makes a difference. And so, uh, you know, it's just all these little, little tricks I'm, I'm learning about uh, action radio as we go. So let me uh, scroll down here just a little bit, a little bit further, a little bit further, further, further. And ah, here we go. This will wake you up. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. 
the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Okay, it was one of those cases where it, it seems a little scratchy to me on the production. I'm checking all my connections here. My microphone, you know, everything seems to be working, but uh, I don't know if it's playing a little scratchy for me or whether it's just it, it, it's the whole radio. I'll listen to the podcast later. I'll find out what's going on. Okay, economics. Uh, it's dry. It's boring. It's dull. You know, it's, it's you know, so we try to have fun. we try to make every subject we can here fun um, because otherwise, you know, you get bored. But uh, Economics, I'm not sure it's whether it's science or art, so maybe someone can help me out with that. Because economics, to me, forecasting economics is like forecasting the weather. There's too many variables. And so whereas weather, you've got hot and cold, you've got the sun, you've got the wind, you've got the different landscapes, you know, you've got pressure, temperature, humidity, uh, the Earth's rotation, you've got all this stuff happening, seasons, you know, all, you know, you've got too many variables. And so I understand why weather people... Uh, aren't accurate. I don't expect them to be accurate. Uh, What I I do expect them is to report accurately. So in other words, report what's happened. That they should be able to do accurately. Well, I think of economy, uh, economics is the same kind of thing. You know, all these people say, well, what's what's, going to happen in six months from now? You know, well, there's too many variables. We don't know. Oh, but you should be okay with that. You know, that's the, you talk to Eric Park on Fridays when we talk about investing. You know, and if, you, if you're not prepared to, to hang in for the long term, you know, if you, uh, the idea is buy low, sell high. Well, most people do just the opposite. They buy high because they, oh, this is great. You know, they buy on emotion and sell low. Oh, no, it's terrible. You know, but you want to, you know, uh, you don't lose until you sell. So if, if your stock is down, it's down, you know, and uh, you have to decide, is it going to come back up someday? If it comes back up someday and it and gets above where you bought it, then you've made money, regardless of the fact that it went down. And so, uh, you know, people want certainty in the world that's uncertain. They want predictability in a world that's not predictable. They want to uh, create a science to take into account the variables so they understand exactly what's going on. It doesn't work that way either. Social science, <laughs> there's a contradiction. Sociology, what, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, trying to predict groups uh, and the way they, they try and get accuracy is they, they reinforce their own propaganda of what they assume. You know, they come up with a conclusion, try to prove it. They do it backwards. You, you know, you're supposed to you know, make a, a hypothesis and gather evidence and it becomes a theory and then you have to gather more evidence and eventually if it's proven, then it's a fact. That's the way it's supposed to work. It's not how most, most science works. Most science, especially like climate change, you know, they, uh, they come up with a desire, you know, uh, Marxism, <laughs> okay, total control of society, the great reset, call it what you will. And then they work backwards to scare the crap out of you and try and make it look like science. That to me is an art and that art is called propaganda. But that's what's happening. Climate change is pure propaganda. It's not science. In fact, I dare anybody to, to come on here and try and prove scientifically that the Earth is warming up because of carbon dioxide, which makes up less than 1% of the atmosphere. Go ahead. I dare you. You know, 215-383-3832. Call me. Hop on live chat. You know, I'm, I'm game. Uh, you know, I will, I will consider the options here. Let me see if anybody's on live chat getting in. And, oh, you know what? I, um, 
I got to reset live chat because I reset the screen. So that's okay. Let me just say what's on your mind here. Let me type around my microphone. What? W-H-A-T-S on your mind. Let's see if I spelled it correctly. Yep, looks good. Forgot the apostrophe. I guess it didn't make it in. Live radio. Come on, Greg. You can do this. There we go. Okay. So now we're back on, on, on live chat. Um, I think it sounds better. So I think it was a good idea to refresh the screen. But anyway, so again, predictability in an unpredictable world. Weather, you know, uh, the economy. But they try and do it. So, so people always want these rational rules. And, and they, they say, this is science. Well, I heard something Ed Asner, of all people, said years and years ago. And it was on a public uh, public something I was watching, which I don't mind watching because it's my tax dollars paying for it, so I might as well take a look and see what they're saying. So Ed Asner has this little quote. He said, art upsets. Science reassures. Radio's an art, folks. <laughs> I'm not here to reassure you. I'm here to upset you. Um, but it's fascinating that, uh, you know, all, all, especially the liberals will say, well, you're not an expert. Um, okay. Well, does that mean I can't have an opinion? You know, where do we get to the point where just, you know, that you, you cannot have an opinion unless you're an equal to somebody that's making a ridiculous claim, all right? Uh, and then there's the recording of the woman who was in a swimming pool, and she was saying that those are men. And then someone said, no, those are transgender women. They're not men. And then they said, are you a doctor? And she says, well, I'm not a veterinarian, but I know what a dog is. <laughs> you know, so I've modified that to, uh, you know, I'm not a meteorologist, but I know when it's raining. So in other words, the idea that unless you're an equally educated, qualified person to the person that's making a ridiculous claim, you can't call it out as a ridiculous claim. Well, that's, that, what that's saying is you don't have a brain, that, you don't, that you're not valuable uh, because you don't have the same experience. And by that token, the only people who could criticize politicians would be politicians. We know where that's going to lead, right? Nowhere. Uh, same with economists. Do I, do I need a – well, actually, I do have a degree in economics. That's, you know. That's neither here nor there, but the point is, do I have to uh, be a PhD in, in economics to criticize, you know, the, the president's economic advisor? No, <laughs> I just have to have an opinion. So you judge the opinion based on the opinion, not on the qualifications necessarily of the person behind it, although you certainly can take that into account. In fact, generally, I find that the, the more highly educated a person is on a particular thing, particularly law, the less I value their opinion, because I know they're going on assumptions rather than reading the actual law or bill. You know, when we do the Constitution here. You know, very simply, I, I am not a lawyer. I am not a constitutional lawyer. I don't have Esquire behind my name. Yet I think I, I talk about the Constitution more accurately than most uh, Supreme Court judges. Now, why did I say judges? I just want to let you, I just want to see who was listening, okay? So why did I say judges? Well, because the, the Constitution says judges. I couldn't find anywhere in the Constitution where it uses the word justice. So anybody that uses the word justice has not read Article 3, and I can prove it. Article 3. Here we go. Pull up my little handy-dandy public pocket constitution, the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior, inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. The judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during time during good behavior and shall at stated times receive for their services compensation. Da, 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 da. Okay. So this this first the section one of Article three dispels two myths. One uh, that the justices of the Supreme Court says, no, the judges. Okay. So we got that. And the second one is that they're lifetime appointments. This is no, they're, uh, they hold their office during good behavior. So if they behave nicely and follow the constitution, they can stay. If they don't behave nicely and don't follow the constitution. They get their asses kicked out. That's the way it's supposed to work. Let's go into economics. So one day you want to talk about something completely bizarre. <laughs> well, let's do that. And, uh, and so this will carry over into the third hour. That's why I'm kind of rambling, you know, slightly incoherently now because I've got, I've got time to ramble. Incoherently, because 
Dorothy's going to be uh, joining us on Wednesday. So I came across this thing. I don't know how. Um, you know, I think, I think God trips me up on a regular basis and says, here, Greg, look at this. And, and so I, I stumbled upon this thing uh, called quantum economics. What the hell is that? I know what quantum physics is. It's, it's complicated. Subatomic nuclear particles, quarks, you know, the movement and the energy, the electrons and where they go and all kinds of predictability things. They have definition for quantum. Where did I put my, uh, my quantum here? Pianchi's on the line. I'll get to them after I get my definition. Quantum, uh, noun, plural. Physics, a discrete quantity of energy proportional in magnitude to the frequency of the radiation it represents. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Here's another one. An analogous discrete amount of any other physical quantity, such as momentum or electric charge. Okay. Physiology, the unit, of, the unit quantity of acetylcholine released in a neuromuscular junction. Really? Uh, uh, here's another one. A required or allowed amount, especially an amount of money legally payable in damages. The court must determine the quantum of compensation due. Never heard it put that way. A share or portion. Each man has only a quantum of compassion. And it comes from the uh, mid-16th century in the general use quantity from Latin, neuter of quantus. Sounds, sounds very Latin. Ictus unum veris veritas, you know, in vino veritas, another great uh, Latin sayings, right? Uh, anyway, so th- this, this quantum definition doesn't make a hill beans bit of sense to me. So we're going to play with it anyway. Let me welcome Bianca to the show for this week. Did you have a good, a good Thanksgiving, sir? Are you rested, well-fed, and, and ready to uh, engage in action radio again? Well, surely well-rested. <clears throat> Nothing like good rest, man. You know, it uh, makes you feel refreshed. How's everything? Actually, it's pretty good. Uh, I haven't slept as much as I did the last four days in probably since last Thanksgiving. Because, you know, this is a rather active process we go through here at Action Radio to, to keep everything going. But uh, I'm looking forward to a really exciting future. Got some new contacts, new people, new, new guests lined up. We're going to have our first uh, election integrity report. So we're going to go through all the flaws in the elections. And this will probably carry us all through 2024, if something tells me. So uh, new reporter coming on. I want to uh, get some more reports and fill up the show and get on bills and uh, connect ourselves to the Trump campaign and hopefully supply them with some major legislation that they'll be using actively uh, throughout the campaign. And um, that'll help us. That'll help them and help the country with some decent bills, including yours. So that's where I am. Well, yeah, it would be great. You know, another thing I was thinking and mm-hmm. heard that there should be 50 uh, – Supreme Court justices provided one from each state selected by the legislature uh, to serve for a term of about eight years. Well, that was what the Senate was supposed to be for. You know, the Senate well, was, was – I mean, they were elected by the – the senators are supposed to be elected by the state legislatures. So the representation of the states – in uh, a new page of notes here, the representation of the states was to the Senate. The representation of the people was to the House. So, what's the Supreme Court supposed to do? It's supposed to watch the well, other two branches. The Supreme Court would do what it's uh, what it's doing, but rather than rather than denying, then of course you got these threats and packing. Well, let's do this. Let's let every state have its own appointed by the mm. state legislature. To serve in that capacity. I mean, that's hmm. very, very, I mean, how much more uh, diverse can you get and demo- democratic than you, can you get than that? Think about it. Uh, I am thinking about it. Uh, I, I, it's an interesting idea. I would certainly post it on writeyourlaws.com so people can take a look. And that's writeyourlaws.com. That's where we do our legislative work. W-R-I-T-E-Y-U-R-L-A-W-S. That's for the new listeners. 
Um, but I don't no, think I no. would support it necessarily because the state courts, Supreme Courts already exist, and they should be able to take federal Supreme Court decisions and, and decide whether they apply to the states or not in areas where the states have jurisdiction. So it may not be necessary to have a federal court that big. You're actually making the federal government, I think, more powerful. And what you really want to do is decentralize the power of the federal government so we could leave it at nine. I actually would bring it back to six. So that way all decisions have well, to be two-thirds. Yeah, but see what you got now is political. It's about a political uh-huh. party. And right. then you don't have the ability to call that person back. Anytime that you can put that power back into the country of the states, that there is the way it was intended to be, and I think it works better because it's more representative of the people. Hell, uh, we have some justices up there now. I don't know anything about them. never heard of seeing them anything. Well, if they came from your state and your state legislators, was the ones that uh, went through the process of choosing who shall mm-hmm. serve for that position to represent uh, at that uh, post for eight years, I think that would uh, that would be more representative of people. Hmm. Should be interesting too. Is um, I was just thinking as you're talking. So you don't have recall. to you don't have to dive off into it right now and do and and uh, no. detour from but, what you was talking yeah. about. But uh, no, but it's, it's, it's worth it. Yeah, well, and that's what I like to do. I, you know, like I say, ideas have an initial impression, and then I like to think about it. You know, a lot of my bills, you know, it takes me a month to write a bill. Well, that's, that's you know, 29 days of thinking about it and one day to write it, you know, and so I, I don't mind taking time on these things. It's an interesting idea. I want to explore some options, though. I was thinking what might work better is to have a recall procedure with the states. So in other words, if the states pass um, by a resolution or by a bill, um, that uh, a certain uh, Supreme Court judge, and I say judge because that's what the Constitution says. So if a Supreme Court judge um, violates the, the basic principles of Article 3, they exceed their authority, they, or, or several judges. In other words, the judges that voted for Roe v. Wade, for example, should have been recalled by the states. I said, nope, I'm sorry. Uh, now, the Constitution has a procedure for, for appointing, but it is, the Constitution has no procedure for recalling. So this would be kind of interesting. Um, this would be interesting to do. And it says they only serve for good that's behavior. That's why it needs to so be amended. Ah, so now, we're, so now we're talking, right? It needs to be an amendment. Yeah, it needs so to be an amendment to have this procedure. But uh-huh. you know, we got two constitutions. You got the one uh, that's about 26 pages long in a pocket constitution. Then you got that uh, court decisions that we seem to turn to. Well, the court said this back in such and such and no, that's such not a year. No, the court said that no, that's not a constitution. No, in fact, I had Mark Meckler on my show, who's the head of the Convention of States. He actually said that. And, uh, in fact, I should play my Mark Meckler interview. I think I did. I might, I might do it again. But he specifically said, that's not the Constitution. The Constitution is the court decisions. Well, that's not true, and I'll tell you why. Because the Constitution is supreme to the court decisions. So you cannot equate a court decision or opinion with the Constitution and have the Constitution be supreme at the same time. That, that's irrational. That doesn't work. So anybody who says well, that we is know it's tell not. Mm-hmm. We know it's not, but when you look at things, that's how these politicians well, that's how react. Right, but that's wrong. And so the I don't, I don't really feel... have the ability to nullify. Yeah. The state uh-huh. has the ability to nullify uh, congressional bills. The state has the ability to nullify, nullify court decisions also. They just don't do it. Well, see, that's the other thing, too. See, I, I find you, you deal much more with the, with the practical world of what is, and I deal much more in the, in the world of the way it should be. 
So that's that's a very and that actually works well because I'll bring you one way and you'll pull me back and go, no, Craig, that's that's not the way the world works. And it's like uh, I only I understand that, but I like the idea of Supreme Court recall uh, by the states. Now, what's interesting too, if you look at the procedure, and I want to get your, we, we can always do our economics in the third hour. I've got my my website all up here ready to go, but let me read the, the confirmation procedure because this is I think is one of the most interesting parts uh, of this, and it never. Um, I think it's actually, maybe it's an article one confirming it says it has the words and by and with, and no one's ever explained that. It's another reason I want to get Dershowitz on the show. Um, you know, cause he's old, but he's still pretty feisty. So he's got some time to, I think, uh, get us here. Uh, Senate should be close to senators. So where's it come to appointing judges that include Supreme court judges? Let's see if I can find it. Uh, Senate show uh, judgments and impeachment. Oh, it's got impeachment. Now this election. Okay, I'll find it. I know it's in here somewhere. I'm ready. Oh, here's, here's now here's something interesting I want to talk to you about too. Um, Section seven, Article one: All bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives. That means tax bills. But the Senate may propose or concur with amendments as on other bills. So if bills for raising revenue, in other words, um, tax bills. So the House has the sole power to tax. So what the Republicans can do, this is a secret weapon, is revenue bills, too. I think, do revenue bills have to originate in the House or just raising? I guess it just says raising revenue. I thought all bills that spent money had to originate in the House, too, but that's apparently not the case. So anyway, the House can hold up anything. They can hold up any tax. They can hold up anything and say, look, we're gonna, uh, um, we've are gonna, we got a bill here that's going to radically cut taxes. And if you guys don't approve it, you know, we're, we're not going to let any other bill go through. So the, the, the only weapon the Republicans have is, is the raising of revenue, the holding up of revenue bills. And they need to use it. And I don't think they will because they're a bunch of geldings. Um, but there's moves, it looks like, that uh, um, Kevin McCarthy is in a little bit of trouble right now because the House Freedom Caucus does not want him. They have voted against him in some recent poll. And so, uh, this, you know, I just heard somebody on the radio this morning saying that, or TV this morning saying that the Democrats are not going to get in. You don't have to worry about that. There's still a majority of Republicans. They're going to vote for the next speaker. But the question is, who is it? And we don't know yet. But uh, there's some serious rumor or serious movement that McCarthy might not be the speaker. Wouldn't that be great? What do you think? Well, it would open eyebrows, wouldn't it? Raise yeah, eyebrows. It yeah, because the deep state wants McCarthy. They want him in there to make sure that the Freedom Caucus doesn't do anything for freedom. They want, he's going to be he's the next Paul Ryan. We've been saying this for what months now. The last person you want in the House is is McCarthy. If McCarthy in the House and uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, the deep state, you know, there is no Republican Party. It's, it's the deep state party. Anyway, that's uh, interesting, Section 7. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's totally switch over to economics here. So quantum economics, if I, if I just put that out to you as to, and we'll only get to introduce this, and Jonathan's going to be with us. Actually, Jonathan's with us now. Maybe he wants to talk quantum economics. Let's, let's find out. Jonathan, do you want to talk quantum economics? I think I stunned him. You're going to have to or, help me here. <laughs> well, I haven't even, I haven't uh, even used, introduced the topic yet. It's, it's brand new. But uh, since you called in early, uh, did you want to listen for a bit? A, uh, um, give me a line like in the movie. I'll, I'll riff off of it. But what's quantum about? Quantum, well, it, I mean, well, economics is sort of a mysterious thing to begin with. Uh-huh. That's what we've been talking about. Yeah, I, I dealing... compare it to, to weather. Uh, weather, you know, it's, it's like the weather. They know what the weather was, but they can't tell you what the weather will be. <laughs> it's like the economics. Well, they can uh, measure well, statistics. That's true. They, 
They can measure labor rates. They can measure unemployment. They can measure inflation. But they can't tell you what it's going to be because I think it's more art than science. I think there's too many variables. It's like uh, designing an airplane is a science. You know, you've got your Reynolds number, your lift coefficients, you know, your aspect ratios and things like that. Uh, that's a science. Okay. Landing an airplane is an art because <laughs> you've got wind, temperature, you know, humidity, the mood of the pilot, you know, uh, the, 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 the person in the backseat, are we there yet? <laughs> All these variables that make uh, landing an airplane an art, but designing one is a science. I think of economics the same way, uh, that the, the structure of the economy can be documented very accurately once it's happened, but they have no real tools for predicting in advance. And this guy's come along. He's trying to equate, it's like quantum physics for economics. I, I just wanted to explore that topic this morning. Anyway, that's where we're starting. So you're, you're right here at the beginning. Initial thoughts, and then we'll see what you think as we go through this. Well, you, 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 said, you said that you, had, you, you, said you had, might have a little more time, but I, I, was, I wasn't sure if it was before or after. So I no, um, we'll start now. pulled over no, while I'm I, traveling. And, yeah. But, Top of the um, hour, we'll get you Jonathan, here, you are, Jonathan, you are the jolly good fellow. Welcome <laughs> aboard. Oh, thank you. Jonathan, well, anyway, so call in. Yeah, so you the, can call anytime you want. So the yeah. thing is, you're, you're calling uh-huh. this basic – is this like chaos theory? Well, it's funny you should say that because I started looking into that, and then I started looking into intelligent design. This is going to be a multi-show theme. <laughs> you know, we're going to be uh, – we're, 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 our brains are being released uh, at this point. Let me start an article here, and I'll give you a basis in this, and then we can go into some of these other things. Uh, I, sound, yeah, I was counting on you keeping, keeping, him, on, keeping um, him on track here. Oh, good luck. <laughs> I, I, I'm like my own herd of I'm like my own herd of cats. <laughs> Good luck. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you what I found. And uh, so I have a it's called Quantum Economics: The New Science of Money by David Orrell. Now it's very interesting that his last name O R R E L L is very similar to Orwell, which is O R W E L L. I find that not a coincidence, even though they're two totally different people. Anyway, this is an article, a book review, written April 20th of 2020, so it's a couple of years old. Uh, this would have been before uh, the Republican nomination and before the election was stolen in November. So he says, uh, Binod's rating, this is Binod, B-I-N-O-D, who did the review, he gives him 7 out of 10. He says, a decade plus after the GFC, I'm not sure what that is, uh, there is a growing consensus that economics has failed and needs to go back to the drawing board. David Orrell argues that it has been trying to solve the wrong problem all along. When neoclassical economics was first developed in the late 19th century, that would be the 1800s, folks, for those that don't do math well, like me, uh, the idea was to literally translate concepts from Newtonian physics into economics. Sounds like, like you know, intellectual an- uh, alchemy. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Anyway, he says, to make people as regular and predictable as elementary particles in physics, economists invented the concept of rational economic man. But the idea of people acting rationally has been substantially undermined by modern psychology. (laughs) No kidding. People are hardly rational. They are full of various cognitive biases and errors. Now, if physicists' fundamental model of the particle had been disproved and Newtonian physics was supplanted by quantum physics decades ago, then how could the entire field of economics not be called into question? Yet this never, ever happens in economics. That's just the opening few paragraphs. Gentlemen, interesting, huh? Well, I, I don't. This is interesting. I mean, I'm not. This is interesting because it's based on a whole lot of assumptions about uh-huh. about things, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just means that it uh-huh. that it's, it's based on some. When I studied economics, you know, are people assuming here 
that economics means you can you can you can predict what the economy is going to do like being able to say look in may and tell us what the hurricane season is going to look like in august mm-hmm. um i i don't know if that's where where they're going with this but you know my my understanding when you know i did get a finance degree undergraduate university of florida and uh um you know, I, I don't think anybody would have thought of, you know, that we, and it was a fairly, well, now we call it conservative, but I would just say it's just, just you know, straight, straight traditional economics, very, um, very common sense um, e- economic theory, which is basically, you know, along the lines that the only thing the government can do to intervene in the economic, in the economy is to screw it up. Um, <laughs> That's actually and, um, theory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was our economics uh, professor, so uh, he'd probably be very considered very conservative. He's great, um, but the idea that one could study economics and predict anything, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's not it's not something that I would have ever thought of as being part of. I mean, is that is that their assumption that the the financial markets want to be able to say, you know, on uh, February 3rd, 2023, the economic conditions will be such and such and you should invest accordingly. Is that how you read it? No. Uh, I, I'll get to, uh, but I've actually read the article, so I've got an advanced uh, knowledge of this, but I don't want to give up the whole store away at this point. But what's interesting is what I All think right. they're trying to do in economics uh, is predict the unpredictable. You know, supply and demand works in a perfect market. Well, there isn't a perfect market. So well, if there isn't a perfect market, how, how can you use supply and demand to accurately describe things and, and predict the future? Well, you can't. And yet that's what everybody wants. So everybody wants to have sure things in investment. It's like gambling. Everybody wants to know which gamble is going to win. Well, you can't have a gamble that you know is going to win. Otherwise, it's not a gamble. <laughs> then it's a win. Okay? So they're trying to measure something that's not measurable. They're trying to predict something that's not predictable. And yet they're saying it is predictable based on these theories that are not uh, able to be sustained. And so there's an inherent contradiction in the markets. You know, uh, this inherent contradiction, I think, is what drives people crazy because they think they should be able to predict something that they, I, by my reading, they cannot predict. They can guess. They can give you a reasonable forecast. No, I, I, it's like, go ahead. To me, this sounds like it's, it's opening up a lot of assumptions about what, you know, or different ideas, different mm-hmm. thoughts about what the economy is, what economics is, yep. and that, that kind of thing. I don't think I would ever have thought of it in that terms, but I think, you know, we do have this idea that, you know, one you, you elect one party or one person in the economy will be will be good and or something, mm-hmm. and I think it's. You know, there are policies that make it more likely the economy will will be good. But it's not like someone has, you know, has a lever in the Oval Office and can just push the the buttons or things like that. But, um, well, that, that, no, that's, that's interesting that people are, no, it's just, it's just a very interesting, you know, outlook. Because what I, what, what I believe you say mm-hmm. certain certain traditions. What when you get to you know chapter one of a macroeconomics textbook, it starts out. It's like it's like quantum. It's, it's like uh, geometry, mm-hmm. where they tell you that you know we're going to teach you these things, but they're all based on these limits. Outside <laughs> of these limits, we have you know we, we have no idea. We have to create these assumptions before we can talk about 
uh, geometry. And, and with economics, say, here are the four assumptions. And without these assumptions, economics doesn't work. And then everybody promptly <laughs> forgets the assumptions and throws chapter one away and, and, and talks about economics as if it's, you know, you can, you can know these things. So, yeah, there are some, there are some key assumptions mm-hmm. that without which, you know, our macroeconomic theory doesn't work or, or it doesn't, we don't know that it works. Or exactly, um, it takes the accuracy out of it completely. And uh, that's why I started the economics project on Action Radio. So we have an economics page uh, where I, I put these articles and more, you know, and I've got, I've got the chaos theory ones will go up. And, and also I combine in intelligent design in the Oh My God page. Mm-hmm. So we got, uh, we've got all these competing theories. Uh, and I just figured it's time we did some more brain work here on the show. And so I've, I wanted to introduce this idea because it kind of intrigued me. It's been sitting on my computer for about three weeks now. And so I figured it was about time to, uh, to bring it in. I think I peek in here too, Pianchi, because you delve in economic stuff and markets and things like that. Um, have you heard of this? Uh, what, what's your feeling on economics in general? Does it play a part in how you see, you know, markets? Because you 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 talk to uh, Derek Park as much as I do uh, in terms of what's happening in the financial markets. Uh, Jonathan, if you haven't talked to him, you should. If you want to call on a Friday, feel free. We have some really really strong economic uh, discussions, and uh, Derek Park's with Edward Jones, so uh, he knows his stuff. He's really cool. Pianchi, get back to you. Uh, what do you what do you think so far? Well, economics is, is, is a complicated theory, uh-huh. and a lot of math has been applied to try to determine which direction and what the final outcome will be. But I, I don't think it's possible. You can get close because there's so many different parameters that varies uh-huh. all the time. But there's one thing for sure, and, you know, I didn't know that the United States purchased uh, – Petroleum from Russia. Apparently, they do. I uh, think a um, guy in New Orleans made mention of that. Correctly. When did that start again? We used but, to do it, but did it start again recently? Yes, it, it has. Ever since our and since I Brandon? think that there is really, <laughs> really ridiculous unless there's some more. See, when politics get into things, see the the, the varying parameters in any uh, math theory is that we uh, exposed to is the politics. And when the politics gets into it, it just throws the whole damn thing off tilter. Sure does. Um, here's the thing, too, that I find so fascinating, that the, the left, if you want to talk about uh, contradictions, the left cuts off our oil, stops drilling on, on what they're calling federal land, that's really state land, um, does everything possible to ruin our supply of, of oil, raise the price of our energy, and then buys but they don't want to stop using oil. They're not, not stupid enough to, to think that they can't stop using oil. They just want us to stop using American oil and having American workers work and having you know us work. But they still need enough oil to keep the economy going so they don't get uh, – so that the, the peasants with the pitchforks and torches don't literally throw them out of office. So they buy Russian oil or Venezuelan oil or, or Saudi oil. But the Saudis don't want to sell it to them because they hate Brandon right now because Brandon's a pig. He's doing horrible things to Saudi Arabia. They don't like him at all. Uh, they, he was denying him weapon shipments and all kinds of other stuff. But it's an inherent contradiction that oil is bad, so we better buy it from somebody else rather than use our own, even though we need it. There's a contradiction I don't understand either. We'll get back to Pianca and Jonathan. Well, you know, a big problem, too, is when you want to have the federal government to subsidize emerging businesses that's going to put – that's going to compete and put other established businesses out of business. That there in itself is a problem. Yeah. 
Jonathan, I'm going to get a comment from you that I'll, I'll get another paragraph of this, and we can, we can start doing legal stuff. Uh, or we can keep doing this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm well, flexible. I'm finding, um, I think, one article mm-hmm. or about oral, and it says, um, oh, I can't find it again. And it talks about whether it's deterministic. Um, um, Mm-hmm. Banks, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. This, uh, this, this kind of sounds woke to me. I don't know. This sounds like a whole. Um, um, I can't find again the part I was reading. But anyway, it. it no, here it yeah. is. The mental model of money and hence economic transa- transactions involving money, therefore, moves from being deterministic to be being probabilistic. My 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 rec is I never I never thought anybody thought it was deterministic. Deterministic meaning you can like I say you can yeah. you can say that under these hey, conditions this is going to hey, happen. Hey guys, I had to do this. There's someone banging on my door. This has never happened during the show. I'm going to mute myself, let you talk, and then I'll let you catch me back yeah, up in just a, a minute here. What's that? I wanted to see if there's black SUVs out there, Mar-a-Lago style. Well, I just thinking, yeah, it's, the FBI this is a rather inopportune time. Guys, why don't you just call me? It's easier. Let me go. I'll be right back. <clears throat> anyway, so um, so yeah, I I didn't. Uh, this is wild. I I didn't. Uh, I was counting on you to keep to keep uh, keep Greg um, in line here, but um, um, so so anyway, so so no. I, this sounds very. I mean, what is it? What is it? What does economics mean to you? You think when when it when it? I mean, I, I'm I'm wondering the way people are looking at it. Like I say, the idea that economics is something that is. Well, I guess, I guess they've sort of passed off the impression that they're precise, you know, wearing tweed suits and, and have, you know, smart briefcases and they can determine it. They can decide exactly what's going to happen. I've just, you know, maybe, maybe that's part of the, part of the public relations, but I've just never looked at it that way. Um, I just don't have that much faith in economics. Uh, am I wrong? What, what do you think the public perception is? I don't think the, the public have uh, the, the slightest clue. Um, my understanding of economics was strictly uh, supply and demand. You know, low uh-huh. supply, the prices go up a little bit. You have too much supply, no demand, the prices go down. Yeah. And uh, well, and I don't like yeah. the term. I don't like the term free trade. I think it should be fair trade especially between other mm-hmm. countries. Well, I mean, I what what I was taught, like I say, in Chapter 1, you open up Chapter 1. A little, stu- little disturbed that Craig's, Greg hasn't come back yet. Um, but um, uh, the, the, there are four, you know, four major assumptions are that, for, for and, and they divide it up into microeconomics, which is how a company, you know, how, how a business performs. And, and macroeconomics, which is about society. And um, the four assumptions are that the private costs are the, are the same as, as societal costs, which, of course, is not true. Um, and and um, pri- private gain is the same as societal gain, which is not true. Um, and you have perfect information so that everybody makes decisions with full information which is not true, and <clears throat> that people can change without transaction costs. Like if you're, 
if you have a, a cable, you know, if it's cable system or direct, you know, TV system or something like that, and they're giving you a bad deal, that you can change, and uh, without without it costing you anything, which is not true. You you know, it, it will there will be disruption, there will be cost, there'll be you know, time spent and everything like that. So so you know, in in a world, people will choose. Like if, if a if you have a cable company that rips you off, you'll dump them and go to, to a different choice. But in reality, it, it, the those choices are sticky. They're um, they're not they're not easy to do. So, you know, there are these assumptions that if, you know, those are the four big major assumptions and things like that that <clears throat> that private choice will be uh, best for society. But in reality, it's not that simple. So, um, you know, I, I just never, I just always sort of, I've never thought about it. I just always sort of grew up thinking that, you know, economics is a lot more messy than, than uh, I guess what maybe other people are thinking. Okay, well, I'm they back. have their own math. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I can read it leaf. Oh, well, it was, was, that was a, a sport, yeah, fortunately you guys were on the show, so you could actually uh, take over for me here. Yeah, this is a, a – I'll, I'll tell you off the air. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting matter, but uh, in, in an official capacity. Well, I, was, I remember I was on the phone when Stuart Rhodes was arrested, so you had me a little worried there. No, I wasn't arrested. No, this is this is a this. I was witness to something uh, of a law enforcement uh, nature that I need to uh, help them with. So uh, yeah, that's what. So they were bashing on my door. I thought, who's that? Nobody bashes on my door. Really? Well, show. Anyway, so we'll, well I'll, I'll take okay. care of that after the show. Um, I'm, it's not me. On I'm the just, one on, on the upside, uh-huh. it sounds like they don't know that they don't know that much about your show, so they don't. No, they do. That's a good no, thing. No, this, this is this is local enforcement. In fact, I've, I've had the local chief on the show. I've had the county sheriff on the show. They know me very well. We get along fine. We don't have any problems. But I mean, you they know, don't. They they didn't. They didn't realize you were on the show, so that maybe they're not. Oh no, they do. Different. No, they they they've been on the show. Oh, well, I, I told the officer I was on the show. You know, so uh, you know, I'm doing a show now. <laughs> well, probably, listen, that's probably something I've never heard of before. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I'll have them on the show sometime. I'm, I'm perfectly open to our local. We have great local police, and we have great county sheriffs, and they're always welcome on the show. I've never had a problem with our folks. And then mm-hmm. next county over is Scambia County too. You know, in fact, we've had some fabulous shows, especially at WBY. Uh, we had some great shows with uh, uh, some of the higher, we had the, the, the county sheriff himself. We had Sheriff Johnson. We had uh, uh, Sheriff Sim- uh, Simmons from uh, Scambia County. Yeah. You know, at this well, level, got at the constitutional level, that we have no problem. It's just the, it's the federal level where I think I'm going to have issues at some point for right. uh, opposing the deep state. Well, uh, but not, not this time. Back to. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, back to. Um... I mean, aren't you? Aren't, well, anyway, well, we can talk about. Uh-huh. Well, uh, we can January go to the legal stuff later stuff? if you want, but no. Well, it's, but it's your the report thing now, is, you so we're into your time. We're trying to make we're trying to make sense of this this thing so that because um, Orel says that economists got money all wrong. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that means. Um, well, let me let me get back into the, one of these articles here, and we can do we can do a little further. Uh, this is the, the review of his book, and, and he says, hence the idea of quantum economics, and it talks about because they're asking all the wrong questions. He says, quantum economics is an emerging research field which applies methods and ideas from quantum physics to the field of economics. 
the thesis is that financial transactions have much in common with quantum processes and can be appropriately modeled using quantum formalism. I dispute that, but but I'm still curious about it, right? He says the first to directly this is a book review. The first to directly apply quantum techniques in economic analysis was the mathematician Agar Khadir, and that's A O Ashkar, A S G H A R Ashkar. Uh, Kadir, Q-A-D-I-R, in his 1978 paper. See, this is all new stuff. This is why it's fascinating. In his 1978 paper, Quantum Economics, he argued that the formalism of quantum mechanics is the best mathematical framework for modeling situations where, and we have a quote, consumer behavior depends on infinitely many factors and that the consumer is not aware of any preference until the matter is brought up. This is, of course, the reality, but no one took this idea forward until now. Because, you know, and they talk, and Marx talks about this too, of preferences and, and values, but uh, standard economics, if I can think back to my early economics uh, classes, preferences, preferences are, are, are established and given and, uh, and they don't change. People, and that's, and that's how the model works. We're saying preferences change all the time. They change by age. They change by location. They change by financial situation. They can change by an infinite variety. My preferences change hourly. <laughs> you know, so how, how exactly would you mm-hmm. measure that unless you had a much more complicated model? I think that's what they're getting at. Well, that's a, that's a lot. I mean, I mean, it's mm-hmm. true that, that there are preferences. I mean, suppose people, I can't think of a good example, but suppose, suppose everybody or a large portion of society suddenly develops a preference for blueberries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no explanation, no reason why, you know, two years ago, nobody bought blueberries. Now, Maybe their favorite movie star loves blueberries, so now everybody's buying blueberries. <laughs> um, preferences are real, and they exist, and they, they defy logic. You know, it's like, well, you shouldn't like wear blueberries, but they do. And, uh, you know, so that, that affects things. But, but, you know, I, like I say, like I was saying before, I've never thought of economics as being predictive in the way that they're, they're looking at this. Um, he has this interesting idea about, about money. But that's a contradiction. They want I, it to be predictive. Um, and it I think arising and... out of a course I took at the Heritage Foundation, I uh-huh. read Frederick, Frederick Hayek, and Frederick Hayek's books are very tough reading. They, they're not well written. They're very dense. They're very difficult to read. Mm. But he's sort of a foundational thinker of, of conservatives on economics because he analyzes the fact you – know, he analyzes economics, the economy, as simply being – um, an expression of society. Hmm. You have, you know, you have 300, what is it, 330 million Americans right now, um, and their lives are more than their economic transactions. But the but the economy is no is not is nothing other than the society. I mean, the society has more. There are more non-economic, but it doesn't work the other way. You know what I mean? So his theory is is that if government were to work a information process to model the economy, mm-hmm. it is a fundamentally impossible task. That, that's his argument against, you know, government involvement in making decisions. Is that ultimately, his, his, his main argument is not so much that the government should not, um, in, you know, interfere with and try to guide and, and control the economy. His argument is that it cannot do it. It, it is a fundamental impossibility because n- not only are they, 
you know, say somebody in Iowa decides to change their preferences, it, there's, no, there's no way to capture that information. And by the time you incorporate it all into your predictive model or, or, or guidance of the economy, you're already behind the curve. It's already too late. So, well, so I mean, one of the fundamental things of conservative um, economics is that, is that government intervention is always a failure. And, and it, it is, it's, not because, it's not because the people doing it aren't smart or aren't the right people, but it is, it is a failed enterprise. And um, which is which is quite quite interesting. Um, and uh, the, but but it seems like quantum economics. The reason I'm hesitating so much is because it does seem to have other aspects to it that I'm not familiar with, that I'm not like his, you know, his view of, of that money. You know, we're looking at money as. I mean, I'm not sure what he's saying, but it seems like money is part of the. It's it's kind of like money is thought of as an accounting system, as as keeping score. And he's talking about it that like no money is money is actually part of the process. It's not it's not just keeping track of the process. We're we're you know what I'm saying? You, you read the article. Mm-hmm, I do. And and um, the money changes value and, uh, too. It's uh, so you've got that variable too. Money itself changes. That? Money itself changes. Money itself yeah. is predictable value or has unpredictable value and he's saying that money is influences the economy in a way that is more than just an accounting system it's like it's like i mean i don't know if you had a scorekeeper in the in a football game mm-hmm. and and it really did influence the behavior of the of the, the teams they look up at the scoreboard and it changed the way they play the game. I think it does. That sounds like what he's suggesting. If you're behind, you know, 42 to nothing, you're going to be demoralized. You know, you wonder how much effort that you can put be. in. Whereas if you, if you were be. lied to about the score, I mean, if teams were lied to about the scores, would they play better? I don't know. I, I think my overall impression, I'm going to Pianchi back in here too, but my overall impression is that they're trying to make something that's extremely complex even more complex and even more understandable by trying to take into variables, but still a fundamental problem exists. That you, they're, they're, there's never going to be enough ways to calculate all the variables because there's too many people out there making too many different choices. They can't do it, and yet they're, they're, they're driven insane by the fact that they're trying to do something that can't be done, and even, but they want to do it anyway. <laughs> and this is, I think, the dilemma well, they find themselves. Yeah, now you're talking about the Democrat Party from its inception. But the, mm, um, the, uh, I mean, see, this is what I find interesting. To me, what, what strikes me the most interesting is that there are people who, who don't, you know, is it their economic mistakes or is it their political hubris that they, that they, that they do think that somehow the economy, which is just society, mm-hmm. is somehow predictable? I mean, I, to me, that's dumbfounding and I'm trying to understand what they're saying. And I, I've never thought of it that way. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just amazed that anybody would think you could, you could predict the economy that way. It, like, just like, I mean, I understood that there are policies, uh, maybe it's just the way I was taught uh, mm-hmm. in the university of Florida. Florida. They, they said that there are policies that undeniably are better. You know, there are, there are economic policies that are better and there are economic policies that are worse. But within that range, nobody knows what's going to happen. 
you know, you, you can you can make it worse or you can make it better, but you can't decide it. And uh, yeah, that's that's, I, that's, I, that's I, it's, it, it's interesting yeah. to me to think that people are looking at this stone so differently. Mm-hmm. You know, so well, I, so, so differently. But go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think we're going to hear a lot more about this, and this is why I wanted to kind of, you know, jump on this now uh, as it gets more complicated. Um, there's something that the, there's another side of prediction, and that's control. And if you look at, uh, I don't think it's so much that people want to predict the market; they want to control it. They don't want to predict the economy; they want to control it. You look at the government wants to control the economy. You know, that's why they're doing what they're doing with supply and energy and everything else, and and uh, taxes and inflation. They want to control the economy. So the dark side of economics is not just predicting so you can advance your investments individually uh, and have a better, you know, climate for your business, whatever it might be, but uh, control and control also, I mean, advertising, marketing, psychology, all these things that companies use to advance their products that, you know, they're looking at the economy because they want to control it. They want to control the purchaser. They want to control the preferences. Same thing with um, uh, the government, you know, this whole thing from, from advertising to absolute to draconian measures from government. The, the, the other side of predictability is control. And I think that's not uh, uh, talked about enough, but uh, that's a certainly a big part of this. And they might be using quantum e- economics, just like they use bogus climate theory to try and uh, control, you know, what people can drive, what kind of cars, how long, how much uh, electricity they get and everything else like that. They're using the wrong measurements or they're making up stuff and, and using science, you know, like the, the vaccine is safe and effective. You have to take it. That's control. You know, you can't question them because they're experts. That's control, too. So there's a lot of control in this. Anyway, back to economics. Would you guys talk about when I was gone anyway? Did I miss something? <laughs> I probably should start there. Well, it's, it's interesting. I wonder if this whole quantum economics idea mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's intended to be a whole new look at things, and I think they've succeeded in that in the sense of wondering what, what is it they're, they're actually saying. Um, but um, the idea that they're instinctively feeling like they're, their control enterprise is not working. Mm, and so okay. they're instinctively trying to, trying to thrash around and find out what, you know, why can't we, why can't we predict things enough to control them? Um, I, I don't know, but I do think that like it goes back the, the whole idea that say like, if you want to change people from using gasoline engines to, uh, to green energy, mm-hmm. um, the government can just step in and push some buttons, and that will actually happen. Mm-hmm. You know that that's part of what I, I part of what I, the impulse that I think you're you're touching on is this idea that that government is capable of reshaping the economy. And I think that that is, I mean that that's the core of I mean other than hate and uh, you know and bias and and just being generally evil, I mean that that's the that's the heart of the Democratic Party is the idea that government can decide mm-hmm. what the economy is going to look like. And that's, you know, and I say that's a fundamental mistake. That's an, that's an illusion. I mean, it's yeah. a giant that's, assumption. Yeah. Well, the giant. And yeah. not only. Wow. Yeah. And not only just dwells on the economy, it also spreads out into other areas of your life that they want to have those controls. I mean, look at what's going on in China now. They have a mass protest. Oh, my God. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. Because that's huge. Like like we had here. And we've seen the the, uh, effects of that. Well, there's three hot spots in the world right now, China, Iran, and Brazil. 
Uh, I want to get Claire Lopez back on the show. If I can. I'll mention her name, but uh, I really wish I could get her. Uh, uh, she's busy, but um, if we can uh, get her back, she'd be perfect, especially to talk about Iran right now. But let's go let's start to China first. Um, the, I mean, you, you can only push people so far. And where debt becomes less uh, of an evil or less of a fear than perpetual servitude and complete domination. You know, it's like when you've got nothing to lose, you know, your life becomes losing your life is not as bad as living a life that's absolutely miserable. And that's what I think the decision the Chinese are making right now, especially in the, in the, in the lockdown provinces. Who wants that one? Yeah. Yes. Well, well, it might have worked except for one thing. All okay. during the time that those taxes was trying to <clears throat> be deployed here in the United States, well, people around the world was monitoring and seeing what was happening. And I'm sure they can read the news where it says that you have a higher percentage of people that are dying of those that have been vaccinated compared to those who have not. No, I, yeah, I, don't yeah, know. I, I think the, the worldwide revolt against uh, the authoritarian elites is, you know, it's feeding on itself and it, and it can't. I do believe that this would not be happening if the United States hadn't gone through what we've gone through. You know, that, that this is, that rebelling against the elites is a virus that is like the, a virus <laughs> that cannot be put back in the, in the tube. But here's, here's something interesting too. I mean, the world looks to America to be the, the revolutionaries, to be the, the, the champions of individual rights. And, and most of this country through, uh, I don't know whether, whether it's the, the domineering fascist education system or, or a lack of parental inspiration or just a total lack of patriotism or whatever, that we're not that country anymore. Brazil is doing more for, economic, for uh, uh, election integrity than we are. Um, you know, Iran is doing more for individual rights than we are. And China is doing more for, for, for liberty under uh, draconian emergency procedures than we are. We are the ones that, uh, not, uh, not those of us on the show, but I mean, you know, you look at the mask wearers, the, the churches that caved, the, uh, the schools that closed, the companies, you know, that uh, it's interesting the companies that stayed open didn't support the companies that closed. <laughs> you know, you know, Walmart didn't say, well, you got to keep the mom and pop shops open too because it's good for the economy. They never said that. They didn't care. You know, so the selfishness and the, 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 the apathy and the, just the compliance. Remember we did shows uh, from, from uh, Compliance to Resistance? It was one of our shows like about a year, year and a half ago. Uh, the, the thing that scared me the most about COVID was not COVID. I mean, I had COVID for a few days and rested and was fine. Uh, and I've been immune ever since. Uh, what scared me the most about COVID was the compliance of the average citizen. Something that we're never known right. for, certainly not worldwide. That was the scariest part of COVID. Because I expect government right. to give out draconian measures. I don't expect people to comply with them. That's the difference. But, but I, think, I think what's happening is, is that the, the elites are overreaching and they're burning themselves out okay. so that the people who, um, you know, all, all of their arguments things are, are being used up. They're being consumed because they don't, you know, people are saying that we trusted you and you lied to us. Try, you, you, you try, you, you, you told, told, you, we trusted you, and it turns out you didn't know what the hell you're talking about. But why would uh, – let's, let's go to that first one, we trusted you. If you go back to um, Gulf War syndrome, uh, if you go back to the swine flu vaccine, if you go back to why, you know, weapons of mass destruction, 
you know, and I can keep going. Uh, make the world safe for democracy. Uh, you know, the domino theory. Uh, I mean, this, this, you know, climate change. I can go on and on and on. At what point has the government ever done anything that merited uh, our trust? Well, it, it wasn't. It was. Ne- it was never merited. But the that's people my point. wanted to believe it. Why? Though? And and what that, that's where want to believe. That's... You're you're onto something here. Well, well you I know, mean, uh, I, I think... for the purpose, Jonathan, for the purpose of this discussion, you have to sort of describe who the elites are. Okay, feel free. Or you're asking, well, I mean, no, Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan. I'm asking oh, okay. Jonathan too. All right. Well, I mean, I, I, I think that's not a simple <clears throat> answer. It kind of depends on the situation. But, you know, our Constitution includes the idea that there should be no grants of nobility. There should be no aristocracy, no, no um, you know, royalty the way there was in England. And yet our society is run implicitly on the idea that that there's you know there are there are different there are you know we're the masses and there are betters um, oh i think we like have an aristocracy or... we definitely have an aristocracy now we have elite families we almost have feudalism if you look at it mm-hmm. it's just modern and, and modern conveniences but we have what somebody called called uh, elite immunity we like like the you know the sovereign immunity is you can't sue the king Mm-hmm. And you know it's definitely true that the elites can get away with things that you or I would be crushed for, which is you know, by illegal we, we under our them. system of we, government. So we need to restore the equality that the elites, you know, the, the whole idea of no person is above the law. We hear from the left all the time, especially when they talk about Trump. Well, that includes the left, <laughs> that includes the elite, right. that includes the deep yeah. state. Pianki, yeah, but the whole thing. Look what he's gotten away with. Hunter Biden, look what he's gotten away with thus far. Yeah. I think that's right. a distraction. Uh, yes, he's, he's provided the evidence to us, but what's really the problem is what Obama's gotten away with, what Hillary Clinton's gotten away with, what Joe Biden's gotten away with. You know, he's sitting in the White House for no reason. Uh, nobody can intellectually argue uh, and tell me that Joe Biden, based on his merit, based on his intelligence, based on his past performance, based on his incredible ratings in the polls, based on his outstanding stellar performance in the three times he's run for president, could beat Donald Trump in a fair election. That is intellectually and impossible his, to argue. And his past associations, his past associations and yeah. uh, verbal blurts. Yeah, but you cannot argue that in a fair election – Joe Biden would ever beat Donald Trump, who brought us unparalleled prosperity, a great foreign policy, a wall, great energy. We were energy dominant, you know, and we had the Abraham Accords and everything else he did while under two impeachments, three hoaxes and a partridge in a pear tree. You know, it's an, you cannot argue rationally that Joe Biden could ever have beaten Donald Trump in a fair election. So just from that premise alone, <laughs> you know, now we can provide the evidence. You know, the vote fraud and everything else. But when someone says, well, you can't prove that uh, Trump won, I say, okay, prove to me that, Br- that Brandon won. Give me the evidence that shows he had the whatever it takes to win that election, and it doesn't exist. Try that. Right. Well, but the thing is, is that they, um, again, they have to, the, the elites and insiders mm-hmm. have to control society because otherwise, you know, we'll all, will all be a, a disaster because hmm. they're so smart 
and we need their help. So any, you know, any, any price is, 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 is acceptable. Um, you know, that they, um, that, that, you know, stealing, stealing the election is, um, um, they, uh, um, it, you know, so, so they, uh, so the thing is, is that they've got, you know, they, 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 they believe it, that, you know, I don't know. It's, 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 it's weird. It's like thinking that if you don't plan the seasons, the whole world will fall apart. Like every day you have to get up and decide, like, instead of realizing, no, you know, it'll do, it'll take care of that by itself. That's I, an interesting, I don't know. These people think that no, that's they don't point. run the world. But they think they have to. So, so their delusion is that they are so deluded in their megalomania, in their power, in their obsession with power and control, that they actually have convinced themselves that, that uh, they think we think we need them. <laughs> we don't. Right. That's the shock. And, uh, right. And, they, and if you listen to everybody talk about, you know, like, when are people going to, you know, finally walk away from, um, from Donald Trump? And like I say, Donald Trump is not our savior. He's not that important. But he, um, but um, the the way they talk about it is like, well, you know, don't you want things to go back to the way they were? Hell no. You know, we 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 went through all these things to get rid of you guys. You know, you can't talk us into going back to the way things were when that the whole point was. You know, to get rid of you clowns, um, and, and they act like, but, but, you know, we have to go back to the way it was. Um, when so, when are we talking so anyway, about the way what was? What? Are you talking about like the Trump's first term was, or, or when are we talking about? Well, it's just, is it? Oh, just in, in. They're not even that specific because they just oh, think okay. that the way the world is supposed to work is that, you know, the swamp creatures, the insiders, the the Mitt Romney. Oh, that's okay. Crystal, okay, I guess you're saying. If they don't run the, yeah, yeah, if they don't, right, exactly. If they don't run the world, who will? <laughs> and you know they can't understand the idea that well, how about how about you just let us live, leave us alone, and we'll run our own lives. Yeah, um, one of the most that they can't. Go ahead. They can't imagine that. Yeah, one of my most important revelations in life growing up in a socialist, radical feminist household um, was that, and I was indoctrinated from probably the, my first day on this planet, um, that I had to save the world. I mean, that's what the, all good liberals are indoctrinated with this belief. And if you don't save the world, you're not worthy. You know, you have to live up to, uh, you have to prove that you're worthy to save the world by saving the world every day. And once I got over that and realized the world was going to do just fine without my help, I can work in the world, I can improve things, I can, I can do my part, but I'm not, I'm not solely responsible for saving the world, and nor are people solely responsible for listening to me. I better prove what I'm saying, and I better have something important enough to say for people to listen to it. And so once I realized I didn't have to save the world, and this is like, you know, late teenage years, you know, as a, you know, college, when I, when I, all the liberalism kind of hit me so hard, you know, it's like, you people are nuts, <laughs> you know, especially my Washington internship. I said, okay, no, I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to live my life. I don't have to save the world. And once that burden is removed from you, oh, the, the world becomes a really fun place. But these people never remove that burden. I've worked with them. I've seen them. They have to sacrifice for the cause. You know, they're, they're so indoctrinated with their beliefs that they, they, they do. They've reinforced their own propaganda that without them telling us what to do, everything's going to fall apart. It's weird. Right, and they're, they're all well, about you know, trying to get us to need. Go ahead. 
Pianchi? Yeah, you're right. They're all about trying to get us to change. You got people that's on uh, Barrett, Justice Barrett, to recuse herself from hearing anything about uh, homosexual and LGBTQ cases because she's, guess what, a Christian. What? When did that happen? Or are they trying to do that, or she actually did that? She wouldn't be that stupid, I don't think. They're trying to do that. They're trying to do that. I, I, think, going, I think all this stuff began with the electric toothbrush. What about you, Jonathan? <laughs> it's Pianchi and Pianchi. <laughs> I think all these think all these ridiculous changes and these ideas all began back when they brought out the electric toothbrush. Jonathan, I don't you, know. You were reading, <laughs> reading something, weren't you, Jonathan? You were doing some research. Well, I can tell. I can tell when you're reading stuff because when Pianchi says something totally outrageous, um, that's what happens. Hey, did you ever hear about Pianchi's well, picture perfect face okay. shaving cream? Let me, let me play something totally ridiculous. I don't think you've heard uh, Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream, the first black shaving cream. Have you heard that one? No. I didn't think so. Listen to this. All right, hang on. Be right back. It's morning, and you are a proud black man. You go to the mirror. You are reminded of Governor Northrop of Virginia and Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada, both of whom appeared in blackface. And there you are, you just put on your shaving cream. And what do you do? Whiteface! It's bad enough that leftist aspiring dictators are choosing to go in blackface. But you, proud black man, have no choice but to appear in whiteface every morning you shave. Now, direct from Pianchi Laboratories, comes a great new product made especially for you, proud black man. Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream. Yes, Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream will give you your black face back during your morning shave. For Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream is the first ever black shaving cream. Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream comes in three shades, dark, darker, and darkest. So now, proud black man, you have a choice. You can stay in white face every morning, or you can join black men everywhere and choose Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream every morning. Yeah, I had to mute your line there. If you're going to cough, you know, <laughs> your line was still live when we were playing our, our thing. But this is how we handle absurdity here. Uh, this is when Pianchi says the electric toothbrush is the problem. <laughs> I immediately thought of uh, yeah, a commercial I, I made. I didn't, you never, hmm? Go ahead. It didn't dawn on me that even though you're, in, you're playing a thing that I, that, I, that I thought I would just automatically be muted. But anyway, nope, that's terrible. Nope, nope. You're all <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's okay. Um, but it's, it's funny, actually. Things happen all the time. But this is something that we – this is how we handle absurdity around here, is we, 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 we be absurd to show the absurdity of certain things. And mm-hmm. uh, so when, when – yeah, this is like a toothbrush. Yeah, that's pretty – that's interesting. Let me um, do something. Uh, so, so anyway, but that – we should tell how that came about. So Pianchi one day was talking about Governor, Governor Northern Northrop. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. Uh, how he went in blackface and Trudeau went in blackface. And Pianchi says to me, and we're on the air, right? We're live. He says, and I have to go in white face every day with that white shaving cream. And I'm on the floor. I'm laughing so hard. I mean, it was one of the funniest moments on the show. And this is like, it's, I had to do something with it. So then I created Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream, the first black shaving cream. It was the first satire piece I'd done. And so it's kind of a tradition to play it every once in a while. But uh, yeah, so we have our moments here. I have more of them. I'm going to make one for you too. I'll, I'll, I'll think of it. No, I, you know. I, I, I missed that whole thing, but. But, but anyway, so, <laughs> so, so where are we then? Um, oh, legal um, stuff? I got a lot of legal stuff. 
Um, yeah, well, that, that's, that, so the thing is, that, but this is, uh-huh. but I think this is, the, this is the idea is that, so, so just, to, I guess to wrap up on, um, on chaos theory, quantum economics or whatever, uh-huh. is that, um, the idea, you know, going, going way back is, I mean, like you say, well, we want to, <clears throat> we want to change what kind of cars people buy. And uh-huh. there are so many examples. That's just ha- one that happens to be recent that the government can do something to actually change the economy. And, you know, my, my theory is it can't, if there's no, I mean, you can, they can distort. <clears throat> it's like, for example, in the seventies, the Jim Akata uh, administration wanted to get people to go to solar pa- solar panels, especially for hot water, which, and <clears throat> so they want to influence people's behavior Mm-hmm. And, you know, may, you know, but you must ask, well, why, why aren't people switching to solar panels on their own? Right? Why, mm-hmm. why, why haven't people made this transition all by themselves without the government? And from the, from the liberals' perspective, you could say, well, because people are stupid. Mm-hmm. They, need, they need us to tell them what to do. You know, they, they're not as smart as we are. They're, you know, they're resistant or whatever. So we'll put a thumb on the scale in the economy. And, you know, my understanding is that, you know, yes, you can, you can waste a lot of money. You can temporarily distort uh, the economy. But once, once you stop, in fact, this is what happened with the, with the Jim Akata administration, is that once they stopped, it just went back to the way it was. You know, right? Yeah, Jimmy was interesting. Uh, it took me a minute to figure out who you were talking about, but um, let's take the 55 mile an hour speed limit, for example. We had to conserve oil. You know, we had to drive 55, and of course, Sammy Hagar comes out with a song, I Can't Drive 55. And, and people drove 55 for a brief period, but then went to 60, and then 65, and pretty soon, you know, we were working back towards normal highway speeds. Um, but that was an effort to influence the market. Um, the, uh, another one I was saying, fuel standards. The cafe standards that Bush, was, uh, Bush the Elder was railing against, the, the corporate uh, average fuel economy, I think is what it stands for, uh, they got rid of station wagons. And because uh, they had uh, the, the pickup truck, and those are listed as utility vehicles and not passenger vehicles. And so they had a different category. So they made the SUV. The SUV was the response to taking away the station wagon for people that still wanted a bigger vehicle for their family. So SUVs became classified as trucks. And that's how they could avoid the cafe standards. So, you know, it was Jeff Goldblum, you know, nature found a way. Excuse <laughs> me, economy found a way. So we get pretty resourceful. But it's fascinating. The government always tries. Now they're trying to force this into electric cars at a time when they have brownouts in California. So nobody really wants one. Why would you buy something that the government's going to take away your fuel source? That's just stupid. You know, unless you're driving around town and you've got a pretty good source of electricity and it's okay. Or your company guilts you into it. Like, uh, like you go to Silicon Valley. I think every parking spot in Facebook and Google has an electric plug. <laughs> you just plug in your electric vehicle. Well, that makes sense if they want to do that. Now it's practical. But most companies don't do that. <laughs> so you better leave fuel in the gas tank. So, yeah. So how about those two? Cafe standards and um, uh, anything and uh, SUVs, uh, reclassifying uh, uh, getting rid of the station wagon. You remember station wagons, you guys? You must. <clears throat> My family did, yeah. Yeah. Pianki, so, do you, do you go on those family trips in a station wagon? You mean the You're one back in like with the, the third row? The one the with the uh, wooden panels on? 
with the wooden panel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Vista Cruiser, the Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser. And our family, we had this Chrysler. It was 1967. Chrysler is like 21 feet long or something like that. My father measured it. Um, but yeah, barely fit in the garage. <clears throat> I think he had to carve out a couple of notches for the bumper. <laughs> you know, but it was, it was amazing. It had three rows of seats. You know, so yeah, you a, could a land, live in land, A land boat? Exactly, yeah. You, but they weren't really, because they were very uncomfortable. I mean, it's still like a passenger car. It's still squished, but you had a big, you know, you had a lot of room for cargo and stuff. So everybody packed, but took hours to pack and took hours to unpack. They were completely useless. I think a minivan was a much better concept than the SUV, but... You know, we had station wagons because the fuel economy standards listed them as cars, and, and but then they became, you know, because their mileage was so bad and fuel started to, to raise. I think Carter was the one that brought in those those fuel economy standards that cars had to make a, a certain amount, and, and station wagons couldn't make the cut. So we lost station wagons, but then they quickly, you know, I, I guess the corporate lobbyists came in and said, okay, great, well we're gonna we're gonna make this new thing, this hybrid, you know, this this vehicle that's not a that's, we're gonna call it a truck, but it's really not a truck. It's just a big passenger vehicle. And the SUV was born, and here we are. I didn't, you know. So there's always Plan B that the government doesn't figure on. But it starts out with the idea of how should we meddle in the economy, not should we or can we? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, of course we, of course we got we the government has all power to mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> to do this. But they do it politically. Um, they don't do it economically. You know, if we are left to our own economic decisions, we'd make economic decisions. I choose what I want to buy. You choose what you want to buy based on all our preferences that change by the minute. You know, that's, that's a free market. The collective result of everybody's individ, individual decision is the market. That's the economy. That's what it looks like. But the minute the government comes in and starts screwing around with things, saying you can't do this, you can't do that, you know, let's push Solyndra, let's push uh, Tesla, you know, over, uh, you know, a, a good gas-powered car. You know, it's just it, they they're doing it by ideology. You know, the whole climate change reset thing is an ideological view of the economy, of the economy that they want. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, let me ask you, this is settle this. And I got a totally different question for you, but it's a big legal one. I think you'll find interesting. I wrote it down when we were talking earlier. New topic time. You ready? Yeah. All right. Liability. Yeah. We, we, we talk a lot about liability. Uh, is there a way to bring a lawsuit against either the Democrats, the deep state, or somebody for all the problems they're causing in the country? Liability, are they liable for stealing the election? Are they liable for occupying the White House? Are they liable for their coup? Obviously, they're not going to go to criminal court because the federal government would have to prosecute them. But can we bring a lawsuit to sue them for stealing our government? Has that ever been thought of? To, I, I don't understand. To, 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 for what is that? I mean, <clears throat> there are lots of things that should be, they uh-huh. should be liable for, but the courts just won't, <clears throat> won't allow it. In fact, if we, you know, maybe transition to actual law stuff, um, uh-huh. you know, I mean, the, 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 the problem is, is <clears throat> people think that, well, I should be able to go to court and, and get justice. And the problem is you can go to court, but you're not going to get justice. So, you know, why shouldn't you be able to sue? Well, you should, but the courts are part of the problem. And um, oh, I don't have is, to win this lawsuit. I just on. want to propose so, um, it. I, I just I think the victory would be even getting it proposed, or even having someone take it on to try and file it. <laughs> it sounds like a Larry Clayman thing, quite honestly. You know, to actually sue well, the federal government be. for yeah. libel, for for libel, for for stealing our government. Aren't they liable for that? If if uh, O.J. Simpson you know, was found not guilty of murder, but was still liable for their deaths. 
which I find an interesting contradiction. Why wouldn't the federal government be liable? You know, for well, uh, that would it's get like into, calling, yeah. That would get into I mean, saying that that the government is, has sovereign immunity, which is which is you know repulsive to our in our in our country. The idea that hmm. that you cannot sue the king. So um, well, I want to sue the king because <laughs> the king is the king. I want to sue the king, but the king is in fact okay. not the king. The president is in fact not the president. Aren't they liable for right. that? I mean, I think this would be an innovative lawsuit. And well, I mean, we need, but, but again, no. I mean, I mean, the, the thing it depends on what you mean. I mean, you know, in, in a moral sense, yes, okay. but would would the courts recognize it? No. Hmm. Um, okay. Too bad. I like the idea. So. Um, you know, so the problem is how do you get them to, um, to, um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it would be interesting. You know, well, so, let me, let me, let me give you an example though. I'll try to do to, to uh, double duty here, which is that, um, we're working, you know, I'm working with some people doing some supportive work, um, mm-hmm. And it, you know, with a deal with um, Carter Page, you know, mm. you know, remember that Carter Page was minding his own business, and he was, um, um, they they tried to claim that he was a Russian agent, even though mm-hmm. he had cooperated with the CIA against Russia, um, but they conveniently ignored that, and they used that to get <clears throat> an opening into illegally spying on the Trump campaign. So he filed a lawsuit, mm-hmm. and the judge. Uh, threw it all out. So you say, you know, wouldn't they be liable for lying to the foreign intelligence surveillance court, mm-hmm. you know, li- lying to judges, fabricating this knowingly fake thing. They, they trolled millions of dollars through Moscow, you know, um, and I'm sure that you know, in a society where, in a society where parents, you know, children were raised to spy on their parents, I'm sure that it took, you know, about five minutes for the news to, to reach Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. that there's someone, you know, trying to dig up political dirt. And, uh, you know, I would expect Putin probably got his guys together with a bottle of vodka and, 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 and hand-wrote steel dossier. <laughs> um, but, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, so you say, shouldn't they be liable for that? Well, hell yeah. But the federal court threw it out. So we're getting ready to, uh, to go up on appeal. And one of the things is, is, it, is that Judge Gabney Friedrich says that um, this is not a category for which Congress has waived sovereign immunity. You know, the idea that you can't sue the government unless they let you. Mm-hmm. That there, there has to be a congressional statute somewhere <clears throat> authorizing a lawsuit against against the, the U.S. government. And this, this isn't one of the categories. Well, that's, 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 a, that's a outrageous, defensive. There should be nothing that you can't sue the government for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's even this idea that if you go to federal court, you can't sue a state. And a state means any agency of a state or anything to do with a state, basically. The courts have just made this up. You can't... Um, um, there's a provision in the Constitution, which means that you can't 
you know, a state cannot be sued in federal court. And they've just expanded this to mean that you can't even sue your own state. And that means, like, you know, the local county sheriff is an agency of the state, so you can't sue anybody, basically. It's just, you know, so um, should they be, you know, are they liable? Well, in, in every, every logical sense, yes. But are the courts going to going to honor that? No. And, you know, so as bad as we have learned that our political system is, our legislature, our politics, our media, well, guess what? The courts are just as bad. Um, they've had 245 years to, you know, to build, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it, conceptual corruption upon corruption, and they're not going to do what what they should do. So, uh, you know, every every talks about, you know, I'm going to file a lawsuit as if that's going to suddenly magically the adults are going to show up and and now the cavalry is coming and they're going to fix it. You know, well, the courts are no are no better than the people you're trying to sue. So, you yeah, because the government, I don't know. you know, the, the government protects the government. Um, something came up. I, one American News had commercials on the Eleventh Amendment, which seems to be addressing uh, some of the things you're talking about. So, so, the judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States by citizens of another state or by citizens or subjects of any foreign state. So right. is that the one you're talking about that gave the, the government permission to, yes. to, to avoid all lawsuits? Okay, that's crazy. And it's interpreted as, and again, because if you, if you drive into Georgia mm-hmm. and a county sheriff deputy beats you up, mm-hmm. they'll say that, oh, you're really trying to sue the state of Georgia. No, I'm trying to sue this guy who beat me up. <laughs> yeah. But they'll interpret it as, you know, 10 levels deep, you're really suing the state when you're not and you don't want to. Yeah. It's interesting. The 11th Amendment took things right out of Article well, 3. How do people, how do people, how do blacks try to sue states for reparations or even cities? Hmm. Well, they probably, they probably can't, but um, um, civil rights laws, of course, have created, you know, certain laws have created exceptions to sovereign immunity. And the, the courts say, well, this is, you know, they have waived sovereign immunity. And they said, you can sue us for, for these things, for civil rights things and other things like that, which is why <clears throat> certain topics are favored, but anything that would, anything we would want to do to, to, to set the shift straight is, is not allowed. Because the, the the Congress is not provided for it. Yeah. What's come up recently again is um, uh, Brandon is on his gun kick again, trying to uh, strip all all citizens of our of the firearms he doesn't like. And we know it's unconstitutional. You know, I wrote a big thing on this Saturday, which I might I think I'm going to start writing for Substack, and so I'm going to turn that into probably my first article or my second one after introducing everybody to Action Radio and uh, our citizen legislature. But you know, especially with a, a so-called allegedly re- Republican House, how come they never get it? Is it? They know it's unconstitutional. They do it anyway. Um, is there anything to this one that we should, anything unique about this, or is it just the same old thing happening over and over again? They're trying to take authority they don't have and lie about it. 
Well, the thing the thing is, um, um, the the incredible ignorance involved. Like everybody's talking about, you know, from David Hogg to you know to everybody else that, oh, we you know if we just have the political will, you know, if we just if we if we're just not afraid of the NRA, we can ban guns. The idea, like, no, you can't. Um, yeah. It, it's just you know, it doesn't matter how much you want to. It doesn't matter how much you organize. It doesn't matter how loudly you scream. Um, you can't do it. Um, and uh, that prehensible to the hmm. David Hogs and the, and of course, Brent, you know, Brandon, you know, Slow Joe has never had an original thought in his, in his life. You know, okay. his, his, his whole stick is to be handed some talking points, read the room and just, you know, go for the applause line, what people want to hear. So, you know, Joe Joe Biden does not actually think anything. He's got he doesn't have a thought. But for him to run around and say he's gonna like like he's gonna they were making fun of him on the radio here locally that he um you know he he was he said yesterday, I think it was yesterday, that there is no reason to have a semi automatic weapon. Mm-hmm. He obviously you know, does I hope everybody knows what a semi automatic semi-automatic gun is it means this is not a flint lock you know it's not a flint i mean every gun that exists is a semi-automatic um gun and yet he's out there well, on national not field. the manual ones not the revolvers and the lever actions and the pump actions anything that you have to work the action yourself would not would not come under semi-auto well, even a revolver even a revolver the the the, the chamber the, the 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 whatever it is the cir- the circle yeah. moves with every shot but you have to move it see the semi-auto moves in other words yeah, self, semi-auto, I think a semi-auto is self-loading so in other words if you have a Glock pistol you fire a round you can pull the trigger back leave the trigger back and the gas from that round as the bullet escapes pushes the slide back that's and then a, the spring that, pushes it forward no, that's, that's a just semi-auto gun. no it's not no that's machine, a machine gun is fully gun. auto a machine gun is fully auto there's a difference between semi and fully yeah but no but a semi a any gun that does not require you to stop and and you know and load the shot, like in like in the Civil War, is a semi-automatic gun. Semi-automatic gun. Mm, no, I got I got I got to disagree with you there, and we almost never disagree. But no, yeah, I this, think, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get our definition. Well, well, really, really revolvers are semi-automatic because uh, you pull the trigger, and the hammer comes back and fires. Then you pull the trigger, the cylinder rotates around. That's double action. With, uh, That's double action yeah, as opposed to single yeah, action. Yeah, Trust yeah. me, I'm real, I'm real versed in this stuff. But uh, a single action gun, the old cowboy guns, you pull the hammer back and it won't fire. You have to pull the trigger. But the, if you pull the trigger, you will not push the hammer back on a single action revolver. On a double action revolver, you will. So your modern Smith & Wesson Ruger revolvers, you pull the trigger, the hammer comes back, the cylinder rotates, the gun fires. But if it were semi-auto, it would actually move the cylinder after you fired it to the next cylinder. <laughs> so you could fire it again yeah, and cock the hammer. Word. But it doesn't do that. That's the missing word, double action. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Does anybody, does anybody have any of those like that except as a historic... Have what? Souvenir. Double action revolvers? Yeah, I've got a few of them. A single, a single action revolver. Uh, I don't, but I'm thinking of getting one. The biggest problem with single action revolvers, we'll do a little gun chat here, this will be fun, um, is that they're very hard to reload. You have to, re, you have to empty the cylinder, 
the out of the out of the you have to empty the shell out of the cylinder and you have to load one in so it's it's manually loaded very slowly with a double action revolver you rotate the cylinder out you dump out all the old casings put in you can have a speed loader you can drop them in you can reload a semi uh, revolver a double action revolver very quickly single action revolver takes time but it was a big improvement over a single shot derringer or i mean it was over a single shot pistol i mean the revolver was a huge improvement but single action requires time to reload. That's why they used to carry two of them. You know, not, not, not because they, you know, they, they fired both guns at the same time. No, they fired one, then they fired another. They had 12 shots instead of six. That's why you had two revolvers. But single action, you pull the hammer back, and then you pull the trigger. With a double action revolver, pulling the trigger pulls the hammer back too. That's what makes it the double. That's the second action. That's the double action. A semi-auto pistol, like a Glock or a SIG or any of those, um, relies on the gas of the ignition process to push the bullet out and then push the slide back. As the slide comes back, the, the casing is ejected, and then there's a spring back there. Well, the spring pushes the slide back forward again. As it pushes forward, it takes the round off the top of the magazine and puts it in the chamber ready to fire. That's what semi-auto means. In other words, it's self-loading. It reloads the shell based on, on just on pulling the trigger. So firing a round reloads the next round. That's what makes it semi-auto. Fully auto is where you hold the trigger down and it continually fires until you let the trigger up. See, with the semi-auto, you pull the trigger once, you fire one round. If you're going to pull it again, you have to reset the trigger and pull it again. So it's one trigger pull per round. That's semi-auto. Full auto is one trigger pull, and you can shoot the entire belt, magazine, whatever you've got. That's the difference. Jonathan, does that make sense? Well, you know, with a single, single action, you can hold the trigger mm-hmm. and fan the hammer. Yeah, they do. I know they do it in the Westerns. They also slam the cylinder in, you know, when they, they, they flip the gun and the cylinder pops in and it locks in place. That's like the worst thing to do well, with a double action it. revolver. Don't ever do that. <laughs> so Hollywood, what, what, what Biden and all these people are describing is a machine uh-huh. gun. They're well, saying there's no that's, reason. Now that's your upside. Right. That's absolutely right. They're, they're, they're blurring the distinction. It's like saying an illegal immigrant. There's no such thing as an illegal immigrant. You're either a legal immigrant or an illegal alien. You know, but uh, but, a, but the, saying a semi-auto is fully auto is a lie. So, Jonathan, you're absolutely right. Well, they're saying, well, what they're saying is that there's no reason for anyone to ever have a semi-autic weapon. Says who? Which makes no, no sense unless they're talking about, um, you know, machine guns. Oh, so there's every reason to own a machine gun, too. Why can't we own a machine gun? It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, Why it's can't we own a machine gun? We actually talked about that on the uh, – Jonathan, are you, are you on the Action Radio gun page? We have our own gun group. And I put that no, question the other – Oh, well, I'll, I'll invite you. But I did this a, a while back, and I posed the question, how many of you would, uh, would carry uh, or, or at least own or possibly carry a fully automatic uh, you know, machine gun? And a lot of people said, sure. Why can't I own and carry it? It's a symbol of my freedom. See, this is I wrote. Did you read what I wrote Saturday, Jonathan, about, especially about distinguishing between owning and carrying, keeping and bearing, and using? Because that's the distinction everybody forgets in law. You know, when, when the left says, well, you, the Second Amendment is going to – you're always mass shooting Keller, the Second Amendment. No, it's not. Go ahead, Jonathan. The Supreme, well, the Supreme Court has addressed that, but nobody noticed. Mm. Um, Which one? The, the, the fully auto, uh, there, semi-auto? There, there's or an what? opinion – I believe it's Hiller where it says mm-hmm. where it says that um, they interpreted. Yeah. Yep. Jonathan's disappeared. 
You know how I feel about interpreting. But but anyway, so the thing is, is that they, um, they, I think one of the justices interpreted uh, to to bear arms Mm -hmm. as understood at the time to to bear it at the ready for use. Like, for example, someone could say, and they were saying, like, yeah, you can keep and bear arms, but you have to keep it locked up in the, in the, uh, in the gun range. And um, um, and, and so, um, you know, so you, know, or you can carry a gun around, but it has to be disassembled. <laughs> but one, so of, that's a one of the, the one of the, yeah. well, that's what he said. He says, the concept well, of to bear, to, to bear arms Mm-hmm. Is on is understood. The Supreme Court said as to hold it ready for use. That's not true. Well, yeah, that's why I said. Well, uh, well, see, this is the problem. Come, this is we need this, two things. Sorry, Jonathan. I mean, Pianchi. You need fifty Supreme Court justices, one from each state, to serve for a periodic amount of time, and you need to have a constitutional convention to make amendments to these laws before this country gets to a position where you won't be able to do anything because of the reckless mindset of the incoming population. Jonathan? To do the mindset of the population? What do you mean? Yeah, this, this, this new mindset that we have today that seems to be influenced. What's your thought on having 50 uh, judges one from each state appointed by the uh, legislature go through that process with the state legislature, and they serve eight years, and then they come out. Well, I mean, my my my, my reaction is I don't trust anybody, um, but that's maybe a different. I mean, it may be a good idea, but I just don't. don't and it takes um, thirty-eight of them to uh, to pass something uh, to agree on something. Pianchi well, wrote this earlier in the show before you got here. This is where this comes from. But my first reaction is that I just don't trust any. You know, any any change I think will be perverted is my pessimistic approach. But yeah. Um, well, something you said earlier. Actually, we talked about this earlier, and I thought it might be interesting to have a recall procedure with the states, where two thirds of the states could vote to recall any any uh, just, uh, judge on the Supreme Court. I say judge because that's what the Constitution says. I found that the other day. Um, interpretations. I want to talk about that for a minute because this is something that I think is, is incredibly misunderstood. And my new line is, if you think the Supreme Court can interpret the Constitution, show me the interpretations clause. And, of course, there isn't one. I, I always ask rhetorical questions. Um, but this idea that they can interpret, you know, as Pianchi said, that there are those who view um, the Constitution, the pocket Constitution, as not the real Constitution. The real Constitution is the 2,000 pages that include all the Supreme Court opinions. And I'm saying that's absolute nonsense. The pocket constitution is the real constitution, and the Supreme Court opinions are subordinate to the real constitution, the pocket one, and that the Supreme Court has no authority to interpret anything. The only authority they have is to read the constitution and use it, and they can't make up stuff like what, what bear means. What bear means is to, is to uh, you know, have it in your possession. And the idea that the Second Amendment only applies after you assemble a firearm, the, the, and I argued this in my piece uh, from Saturday, that your rights are with you always, and they go with you everywhere. They're not turned on and off. That's the line I got from Pianchi. It was one of my favorite lines. That the, Your rights are not turned on and off by government. They're constant, and they're constantly with you. So the idea that the Second Amendment applies in your home and doesn't apply outside your home, that's absurd. That's irrational. 
That's a, that's an arbitrary creation of government. Um, that's uh, that's an interpretation, and the government, the, the Supreme Court, no court has the ability to interpret. This is what I'm trying to get at. And so when they say that uh, to to keep and bear means to, you know, own and carry. If you keep it, you own it. If you bear it, you carry it. And the only way you can exercise a right that's with you always and with you everywhere is to have your gun with you instantly ready for use. Because if you have to exercise your right of self-defense, you might be in a situation where it has to be exercised instantly. And to not have your gun with you, if you choose to, now you can choose not to carry it, that's your right. Um, But if you choose to carry a gun and exercise your right of self-defense, you know, there is no restriction that can be put on that because that right is absolute. The right to keep and bear is absolute. Using is different, but keeping it ready for instant use is critical. Pianki, go ahead. It doesn't have to be carried upon expectation of self-defense. It could be carried just as a apparel style. I mean, I think yeah. it looks neat to have. Or because yeah. you want to. Or just because you, that's what a free person does, carries a gun. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not justifying the carrying of a gun, but what I'm saying is that rights are with you always. Rights are with you everywhere. Wherever you go, your rights go with you. So in order to exercise your Second Amendment right, I would argue that uh, it has to be able to be exercised instantly. Otherwise, you'd have it. And if you're in a critical situation where you need to exercise your Second Amendment right for self-defense, the idea that the government can put anything in the way of you doing that is an infringement. So what this judge said about uh, you know, de- redefining or interpreting, actually, I would say redefining the word bear, in other words, to, to you know, have in your possession, is irrational, is absurd, is illegal, and it's wrong. So I, don't, I would ignore it. Jonathan? I was on a roll there. He's probably reading stuff. We'll bring him back. That's why I come on for, I think we need to look, I think that should be given consideration. I think it's been talked about before. Is he judges? Mm-hmm. he judge? Look at the end of stuff. Sullivan, that guy is crazy, I think. Sullivan. Who, Remember him? Sullivan? The federal judge, the, the black guy, was in the Michael Flynn case. I don't remember the judge in the Michael Flynn case, but I just saw a documentary on Michael Flynn that was really interesting over the weekend. Um, so, yeah, apparently he uh, – Obama said two things to Trump when he came in. You know, <clears throat> make sure you get people loyal to you, and he says, and you have to get rid of Michael Flynn. <laughs> so I would make Michael Flynn attorney general in, in Trump's next administration. I'm going to disagree with Jonathan. I think that Trump is the person – in this time in history, that is the best chance of bringing about the most freedom for the most people, you know, in the greatest way to affect the deep state. I don't think anybody can come close, considering what uh, Trump knows, who he is, the resources, the experience, the fact that he was president, you know, and in fact still is, um, but that he can come back and actually have four years of reflection on all the things that went wrong and have the unique opportunity, uh, being who he is, to come back <clears throat> in a third term, <laughs> which is really, which is going to be counted as the second term. Uh, and do all the things right this time that he couldn't the first time. And hopefully uh, uh, Ron DeSantis will carry on eight years after that, you know, starting in 2028. Jonathan, are you back with us? Are we, are we driving for a bit? Well, I'm not sure what, what you disagree with. I don't know. Oh, well, let me, let me, get, mean, let me put it to you that uh, this, is, this is my new, my new line that I came up with this weekend. So your I, I don't you. know how you're, looking, how you're looking at that. I'm looking at what? Well, I can't hear you. You can't hear me. How I mean, but, but, yeah, I mean, but the Supreme Court has said that, that mm-hmm. the right to bear arms mean, you know, includes the right to, to use them and have it ready for use. Okay, well, that's, that's correct. 
But I don't need well, that to say I, that. I, the, the Second Amendment. But what I'm saying, but then well, you yeah, said you do about, because these people. Well, you do need to say them because the people are not are are crazy. Oh, okay. Let me. Let well, me, then when you, in, you let say let that, then they're gonna try to get you out of out of your seat and find somebody who says it the way they want it to be heard. That's a bunch of bull crap. And you know what, Greg? I was reading Florida's gun law. Uh-huh. Man, you guys got a problem down there with the wording. Uh, yep. Like, for instance, when you go fishing, you can care, openly carry. That needs to be more explicit than what it is. Well, what happens is we have Florida carry. Now, what they'll do is they'll openly carry. They'll, they'll, they'll give out a bunch of fishing rods, and we all go fishing. I, I, I want to do this one of these days. And they openly carry firearms on a pier. You know, and they say, well, we're fishing. It's okay. And the police are like, yeah, it is okay. And that's what the law says. So you're absolutely right. My thing with Jonathan, though, is what I was saying is that the, the Supreme Court has no ability to interpret. In other words, me personally, I and all of us who believe in the Constitution and read it and understand it, uh, we don't need the Supreme Court to say what the Second Amendment says. We know what the Second Amendment says. We can read it. The right of the people to keep and bear arms. Well, well, but you that. do. Because, okay, but, but that's wishful thinking. Okay. I mean, me. you, I mean, you, you shouldn't have to, but mm-hmm. there are liars and frauds and people who are stupid and people who are insane. And, and so, you, you know, I mean, you do need it. You do need them to tell. I mean, you do need them to tell you the obvious. But the problem is when they get it wrong. So what if they said that the, that the, the right to uh, keep and bear arms doesn't apply outside your home? Because that's your that's your that's the only place where you can exercise rights. That's a bunch of nonsense. I know well, people said that. Uh-huh, but so the the, the but danger in relying on them. That. Yeah, but the danger in relying the court to interpret is that they're going to interpret wrong. You know, they might say that keeping and yeah, bearing means you have to carry carry your firearm disassembled. What's that? What's that, Pianchi? I wonder how they would rule on a woman's ability the uh, right to bear a baby. In terms of Roe v. Wade, or in terms of what? Just her personal right, too. And somebody says, you don't have a right to get pregnant. Well, I have a right to bear a baby if I want. Oh, that's interesting. Has that ever come up in law? I don't, I don't know of any case like that. Are you having fun again? Jackie's having fun with this. <laughs> no, I'm not. It's just like anything else, Greg. It, it, just stand back and watch it happen sooner or later. Well, and, and to Jonathan's point, he does make sense that a lot of people need the Supreme Court to, to make a, uh, uh, an opinion that stops the stupid things. I understand that. But what I'm saying is that there's a lot of people, a lot of pro-gun people, that were trying to get the Supreme Court to say what the Second Amendment already says. And, of course, a lot of us are arguing you don't have to do that. It already says that. What the Supreme, Supreme Court needs to do is to block things that are trying to go against what the Second Amendment says. That's what we need them for. But we don't need them to say things Absolutely. like they're reasonable... Yeah, but we don't need them to say there are reasonable restrictions when there aren't. We don't need them to say that there's a compelling state interest by just making stuff up. We don't need them to teach people over generations that the courts can interpret the Constitution when they can't. That's not legal. That's not authorized. That's, well, it's unconstitutional courts, to have come, the courts interpret the Constitution. Go ahead. Why come states don't just nullify their decision? That's a good question. Let's ask Jonathan. When are the states going to get their act together? Especially what? areas where they have jurisdiction. What? <laughs> I think Jonathan's missing some of our conversation here. No, you must be in a bad area, Jonathan. I, I guess you, are you missing some of our chat? I am. I'm not hearing it all, but I also don't understand what you're saying. Okay. Um, so, um, so do, what? 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 You're trying to just say ignore the Supreme Court? 
No, I'm trying to say that they, they cannot interpret. They cannot make stuff up. Only if, they, only if they defend the rights correctly by affirming them absolutely as they are written. Are they any, are they any use to us? Yeah, that's true. But the problem is, A, you have you actually have whack, wacky left-wing um, law professors who are not trying to argue these things. They actually yeah. are real consciousness. Yeah. And who's going who's gonna to decide that the Supreme Court um, acted, you know, acted outside the Constitution? I mean, I suppose you can have, you can have uh, you know, a congressional veto, in a sense, or um, <clears throat> ratification veto or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting a little hard to hear. I think I might want to let you go at this point just because, A, we, we, we've covered the hour, and, and I don't want it to, uh, you know, it, it's getting a little difficult to converse at this point. So let me, let me just talk about one more thing here before you go, uh, and that's your book. We haven't mentioned that yet. So if you want to talk about that for a couple minutes and then give your contact stuff, and then I'll take a little break and we'll, we'll go back to economics. What's that? Um, but the, um, the, I wrote in, in the 2020 campaign, a, uh, I just got tired of correcting the record, so I just compiled it all and, mm-hmm. and put it all <clears throat> together on Amazon Instant Book. Um, <clears throat> all the resource of all the lies about that they told about about Trump and, and COVID. Now you don't think Trump did a you know such a great job? You told me, but on the other hand, all the lies that you know he he said it was a hoax. He never did, and he he ignored it, which you, you know. No, I, I said the government had, response was, was a hoax. TV, like every single day, for hours, mm-hmm. with a, a you know a press a briefing from the from the White House. You know, I mean, how how, how people could say this? Why, so you know, I put in all the all the, all these things together, and if he's going to mm-hmm. run again, I would hope that people who are interested would go to TrumpCovidBook.com and take them to Amazon, and it, it was basically. You know, almost. I'm not not even sure it's like my book as it is as much of just compiling all the facts and the research and the links to the news articles to show that that all the things they were saying about Trump and COVID were just false. Um, <clears throat> you know, the idea that you know that he he minimized it or whatever. I mean, he declared a, a, a public health emergency on January 27th. Um, it's just more more no, outrageous did. that we saw. The secretary okay. declared the secretary declared the emergency. I've I checked the record on this, and, it's, and I'm curious. Trump, well, I don't think Trump but, ever officially authorized it ever. Oh, he didn't correct the secretary. He no, he, he should did. Fired no, him, uh, oh, no, he was is? there. Okay. He was there in the announcement ceremony. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, well, and that, most that everything sense. that happens like that is mm-hmm. through the secretary of whatever agency it is. Oh, okay. So, um, <clears throat> um, that's just a. I mean, the, the, the secretary is not doing something without the president's. Uh, you know, approval. That's just the, that's just the mechanism by which it happens. Oh, okay. Um, Good I mean, to know. That was Azar, I think. But but um, but uh, you know, Trump Pfizer. convened a, a task force <laughs> yeah. on January 27th. He 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 addressed COVID in the um, um, State of the Union address on February 4th. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the the idea that the idea that a president is supposed to say you have nothing to fear but fear itself. Don't panic, you know. Don't <clears throat> don't run off the road. We'll be okay. Doesn't mean that he's um, ignoring 
the, the, the pandemic. It just, it just means he's trying to avoid, you know, a complete breakdown of, of panic. Um, so, um, so I document all the things that they did there. And um, whereas actually it was the Democrats all over the Democrats are saying, go out, to, go out on Broadway and see a show. Um, <clears throat> you have the New York City Health Commissioner saying that, you know, very late, I think like in March, that COVID cannot be spread through casual contact, contact. Um, you know, you know, defending people packed in the subway system kind of thing. So it, 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 it's a real detailed fact, you know, resource manual of what actually happened and explaining the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, with, mo- you know, mo- the whole point being that it's all, it's all cited to the specific um, information and documents and, 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 and news articles at the time. I mean, if it were just a book about my opinions, I don't care. So it's not a book about medical advice or about vaccines. I tried to stay away from all that so it couldn't be censored. Still, as it happened, it didn't didn't go very far or help very much. You know, nobody supporting Trump, you know, stood up for his actual record during the, the 2020 campaign, and I think it definitely hurt. Um, so um, you don't think he did a did a great job, but I, I I don't know. I assume that that means he rushed the vaccine through that. No, I don't um, think he did a great job because he didn't listen well, to the people that were saving. He didn't listen to the people that were saving people. He did initially. In fact, I don't know if your book covers. Uh, we had Dr. Zelenko on the show a couple of times. In fact, he and I actually wrote a bill to reform the FDA and the emergency use authorization procedure. And so I, I got I got this pretty early. On and I was convinced. Uh, I wrote a bill February 27th of 2020. You know, like you know, uh, three weeks before the 15 days to slow the spread, that the government can only spend half the money on vaccines. The other half has to be spent on early uh, early treatments because I already knew about chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. Later, I learned about ivermectin, and I knew about these early treatments. So I knew that the vaccine was a hoax. It was not necessary. You don't do something that takes at least 10 years to produce. You know, when the disease is already here, you, you cure it and you kill it. You cure the disease and you kill the virus. That's, that's what you do when somebody's here. And people forget. People are so wrapped up in vaccines <laughs> and preventing well, sure, that, no. they forget, that they forget that most of these diseases can be treated and cured. And the whole well, point I, was we I, had, a, I, you know, and that's why I think mm-hmm. he failed because he, he didn't go. He oh, had, I, could uh, see, I, could, I could see that. But now, remember, Trump was the one who pushed hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine, yeah. And, it it know, takes a while to say. And, yeah. you know, he was, uh-huh. he was out there and he was like – you know that's when they started to to vilify him because mm-hmm. he's tra- he's stepping on their profits, their billion dollar profit plan, just like right. with Ukraine and you know all the all the war profiteers. And, well, you couldn't and, get the uh, vaccines um, couldn't get the vaccines through if hydroxychloroquine were an approved treatment because the law says uh, I've, yeah. I've said this really carefully too, but and you, you know the law right that says that you can only you you can't if you cannot put an emergency use authorization on a new product right, but, but, if an existing product works. And it's but if, you list, if, you listen to, if you listen to Trump, that it was a treatment and it did work and it was right. miraculous. And the only, the only thing that he, you know, he did in areas that he's not mm-hmm. an expert in is he, he, is he backed down too easily. Yeah. Um, you know, he let, he trusted, he trusted these people, but, um, um, but, you know, we would never have heard of hydroxychloroquine if it wasn't for, for Trump saying it on the, you know, in these national briefings that didn't happen, which we all 
you know, went on for hours and hours and hours every day. And yeah, but that was Trump part of was ignoring it. That was Obama playbook. Do you, do you cover that? The, the, Obama gave his pandemic playbook to Trump, who rejected it. It went to Dr. Fascist, who implemented it. And part of that was Dr. Fascist would take the podium and kick Trump off it. And he would basically manage everything. And that's exactly what happened. So that was the Obama plan for the pandemic that I'm sure he knew was coming. Because, you know, everybody, everybody who had a, had a hand in this, who was making money off this, knew this was coming. This is all planned. Judy Mikovits talked about that for, right. for weeks on our, on our panel. So and I knew about right. hydroxychloroquine back in, in February of 2020. You know, and I'm just, right. I'm not but a doctor. The, um, I, mean, I read the study. It was, it was plainly obvious. In fact, I got a bunch of articles, well, well, early I, articles. I, I understand. The, the, yeah. But the thing is, is he, uh-huh. they, they, um, they, I mean, he, he has, he has, Trump has always been too timid around experts including legal experts saying what he's allowed to do and what he's not allowed to do. Like, you know, he could, he could just, could have just walked down to the department of justice and fired everybody. But he's got all these legal experts telling him that that would be obstruction of justice. He's not allowed to do that. It's like, yeah, he is. Mm -hmm. But, but he, you know, he, he, he pulled his punches too much. But the thing is, is he, like the idea that he said that it was going to go away. Well, at the time he said it, it was, there were no homegrown cases of COVID at all in the United States. They were all people who, who were infected, who came into the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is all documented again in the, in the book. Th- there was nobody who had contracted COVID in the United States at, at the time that, that, you know, that, that and tr- Trump was already doing extraordinary amounts of things to prepare and, you know, setting up task forces and, and respond and everything like that. And said, he thought that, you know, there were like 15 cases and they would go away. And that's at the time that was true. And you mm-hmm. had the New York, you know, the Democrat New York City Health Commissioner saying that it's, it's not, it cannot be con, um, contact, contracted casually. You have to, you know, you have to have physical contact to catch COVID. And, um, and so um, then when, you know, once it started to go native and people started catching it <clears throat> within the United States, well, then all bets were off. So, so it, you know, I, the, as a factual defense, if people are interested in whether, you know, in Trump running again and, and decide to being there, they, they may, they probably should use the facts and the citations and the news articles in you know, the book. It's called, my sister came up with the, with the title at the time, <clears throat> you know, COVID is 2020 as in hmm. hindsight, but also right. no, I, I get it. the election. Yeah. But the thing is, so if they go to TrumpCovidBook.com, people might want to look at all of those, of all of the things about what's really happening. All the, I mean, just the constant non-step flood of lies from the left about everything um, are partly addressed there. Now, it's interesting, though, that, yeah, the idea that, that, like Reagan did, Trump trusted these people. So he said, okay, look, here, here's what we need to do to get you to develop a vaccine. He didn't know that they basically had already developed a you know, a, a vaccine, you know, a genetic manipulation <clears throat> technique. Mm-hmm. And, and he didn't know that they were going to um, bilk people and, and, and pass off something that didn't work. So he, he managed to get people to, to put together, you know, a, a, an accelerated process for development of that vaccine. And he trusted them, which was a mistake. Yeah. But but it's not like he you know it's not like he he did anything that you or I wouldn't 
have done if we didn't know what was going on behind closed doors. Yeah, and see, then, I can't, uh, I can't so judge like, that because I did know. <laughs> I mean, did, you know, what about Peter well, Navarro? Well, you had like 60 you, yeah, million you knew, the thing hydroxychloroquine is he, tablets. He, you know, remember when, when Peter Navarro knew? In fact, he was one of Trump's closest well, he, advisors. He, Look, he knew that too, but but they, uh, you know, everybody was. And the thing is, I think <clears throat> Fauci was burning up the phone lines to corrupt the medical process to get everybody to put out fake studies saying it didn't work. Yep. And <clears throat> when we know what it, it did. Mm-hmm. But but it's interesting. He was also too, coordinating the lockdowns people, with the governors. That's the other problem. Too. He coordinated the lockdowns. I remember him saying at a press conference, "I talk to governors all the time, you know, and the only reason he would be talking to governors is to coordinate the lockdowns." So that was another problem. Yeah, but that so was supposed Trump to be him, for fifteen. That was supposed to be fifteen days. To, and that, well, that was mainly lockdown, driven though. by. That wasn't a lockdown though. Huh? It, was just, it was a slowing of the spread. It was like a voluntary action. There there was no mandate at that time. Uh, were things closed? Well, I, I no? don't. I, I don't. I don't know that any of, that he had anything to do with with, with mandatory. Um, I mean, we uh-huh. didn't even, even in Virginia under Democrat government, we didn't have uh, mandatory lockdowns. We just had strongly encouraged, and businesses uh-huh. were you know shut down things. But <clears throat> but uh, but that was driven mostly by the you know the false idea that that hospitals were overloaded, <laughs> and we, no, we there wasn't enough hospital capacity. Um, but in any event, um, it is interesting that despite the, you know, the idea going back to, you know, Rush Limbaugh used to talk about this, that, you know, that we're all mind-numbed robots, you know, again, we need to be saved by the elites, um, that um, the people who are most resistant to the vaccine and the boosters are mostly Trump supporters. So <laughs> it's interesting that that we... You know, we, we, we choose him as the best choice, but mm-hmm. we don't believe everything he says. Yeah. And, and agree with, and I think, you know, I think that the left is that just the left's head explodes because they can't comprehend the idea of people thinking for themselves or the idea that people are making or choosing Trump as the best option, not that mm-hmm. they're somehow, you know, mesmerized by some cult figure. Um, so, um, it's all it's it, it is it is interesting that the people the people most opposed to the vaccine are are basically uh, Trump supporters. Um, all right, I got to get off. I've got I was supposed to meet this guy at uh, nine and didn't work oh, out. Oh no, no, so he's please, I understand. Me. Not a problem. Yeah, take care of business. You can always go if you have to leave for doing anything. Just I mean, even if it's the middle of the hour, I don't care. You know, just whatever time you like, have. Is like like if somebody's knocking on the door. Well, like okay. I had to go. Well, that's the first time I had somebody knock on the door. No one knocks on the door like that unless it's I'm a glad, I, I'm glad you're okay. Well, let me check, let me huh? check this thing. Okay. Where'd he go? Any contact? Oh, he left. <laughs> I mean, he really left. That was, that was quick. That was pretty funny, though. You know, like I say, uh, you know, we were joking about that, too. This is the FBI. Why don't they just call me? <laughs> but you know, uh, uh-huh. Going back to Florida's gun laws, and I was looking at some video clips of police interaction with individuals who were carrying and uh, with their fishing rod. Mm-hmm. And these cops would come up and say, no, you don't have a right to do that. No, they're wrong. You had, of course, citizens calling in. But, uh, you know, that's what was being said. I think, I think I'll think i try to send you some of those. 
oh, there's a lot of police that don't know the law. In fact, they don't know the Constitution. You know, I have one of my, my local friends around here. Uh, he had a, uh, <clears throat> a boat party. He has a couple of boats, right? I got a video of this, too. It's on my Action Radio video page. And so he had his family on one boat, and, and the rest of his family, he's got a big family, right? So they had a couple of boats tied together like they do all the time. And Fish and Game shows up. And he's got this on video. Fish and Game says, you've you got to separate your boats. <clears throat> you're too close together. You know, you're, 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 you know you, we need uh, social distance. He's like, no, I'm in the middle of freaking Gulf of Mexico. What do I need? What do I need? What do you mean social distance? Go away. No, you have to do this. And he said, why? What's the law? I said, what law? Show me what law. Well, it's an order of the governor. Okay, show me the order of the governor. Well, we don't have it. Well, then it's not a law or an order, is it? You know, and they're still going back and forth. And they said, look, we're just following orders. You have to separate your boats. I said, that's not good enough. He says, that's not good enough. You can't just say you're just following orders. So, well, don't make us call reinforcements. You know, eventually, got, you know, law enforcement does what they always do. They have to win, right? And so it's, uh, it's really pretty wild. But, uh, yeah, eventually, they, I guess they pulled the boats apart. But uh, he's got it all on video. It's hysterical. But they had no reason for doing what they're doing. They just did anyway because they're just following orders. I mean, that's what Nuremberg, that's what the, that's what the, the, the war crimes trials are always about, the idea that you're just following orders. You're not just following orders. You can't do that. You have to have duly passed laws. That's the whole point of this country. You know, and as we've talked about during the lockdown, you know, it's during an emergency that you need your constitution the most. You know, so it's quite fascinating how all this works. Anyway, I had more for Jonathan, but uh, too bad he left. I had a bunch of other stuff, but that's okay. We'll get to, we should take a break now. So let me take a break, or unless you have another comment, let me get to your, your comments on things so far, Pianchi. Take a little break again and come back, and I'll, I'll get into quantum economics again because there's more to that first article. It's kind of fun. Economics, complicated subject, a complicated subject. But it is interesting, though. All right, let's take a break. And you can mute yourself. Apparently, Johnson didn't mute himself earlier. That was pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's radio. We just keep going. All right, back in a bit. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. MyPillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. 
So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. fun this morning. <laughs> We've covered a lot of different ground, a lot of different subjects, uh, and I'll have some legislation, you know, more things to talk about. Uh, I'm kind of anxious to get started on Substack, because uh, that way I can present each one of our of our critical bills, and uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to have that as a, another outlet, and hopefully that'll raise some revenue. That's my big push, too, is going to be to uh, start making this show a lot more economically viable, uh, as it were. We, we know what to do. We know how to do what we do. We know how to work these things. We know how to do all kinds of things, and we're... Uh, ready for the big times here. So that's just, that's the big force in the next year or two. And that, and I think I disagree a little bit with Jonathan that uh, I don't think Trump's time has passed at all. I think it's still coming. And I think he can do an amazing amount of good uh, in the next term. And so uh, I'll be working as closely as I can with the Trump campaign um, and hopefully providing them with citizen legislation that they can run on. So let's see what happens with that. That's never been done before. So uh, again, like, like all the other things that have never been done before that we do, uh, having a, uh, uh, a presidential candidate uh, run on legislation written by, you know, just us regular folks out here. Uh, it's kind of an intriguing prospect. So we'll see what happens. Pianchi, welcome back. And uh, let's, let's dive into a little more of this quantum economics here and get this on the record for, uh, for this particular podcast. Ready for more? Sounds like an Einstein equation. Let's go. Okay, so this is from The Real Finance Mentors, the article I was reading from earlier, Quantum Economics, The New Science of Money by David Orell. That's his book, April 20th, 2020. Book reviewer is Binod, that's B-I-N-O-D, and Binod's rating is 7 out of 10. So skipping down to the part I hadn't read yet, he says, one big idea in quantum economics is that prices are actually a quantum phenomenon. Prices have no objective, independent existence apart from our observations. Prices can only decisively be determined at the time of sale. Before the sale, it is an indeterminate quantity uh, existing in theory, but impossible to be pinpointed with 100% accuracy. I'm not going to challenge that, but we'll just let him go for now. He says only once the transaction is completed does the price become, uh, I think it's just it's a ratified, it says REI refied, <laughs> I think it's supposed to be ratified, and measurable in various currencies. But if price is an indeterminate quantity, then the smooth supply and demand curves used by neoclassical economists, which treat prices as stable and heading towards equilibrium, are not valid. And I think that's the real point he's making, is that the, the supply and demand curves are not as simple uh, as they are portrayed in most economics courses. He says, Orell makes an analogy with quantum physics, 
where a particle speed and position are unknown and indeterminate until it is observed and measured. That's what quantum physics is all about, right? He says, we can, for example, assign a position uh, or direction to a particle, but not both. It only exists in a range of potential. Once a transaction is completed, the potential collapses into a fixed number we call price. But before that, its properties are indeterminate, not fixed. See, I would disagree. When you look in the market, uh, you go any place, any store, any, any retail place, the, everything has a price on it, unless you're in a, in a Middle Eastern haggling market, in which case price is meaningless. It's part of the culture to argue, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Uh, but unless you're in a haggling marketplace, the price is there. You either accept the price or you don't. The only other place I know where you can negotiate is cars. So now in cars, it's interesting. Actually, that'd be interesting. Let me, let me ask you about that, Pianchi, because how many places do you actually get to negotiate the price? I think cars are about the only thing. Maybe houses too, right? So you can make offers on houses. So there's only a couple of places where, where the price really is indeterminate. I mean, the, the seller you know, offers a price and you can, uh, most times you either accept it or don't. You know, if beans are $2.99 a can, you either pay $2.99 or not. I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, but in terms of, of big things like cars and, and houses, that's where the price is negotiable. So are they talking about big ticket items or are they thinking that every price, you know, it, it isn't really real to buy a good? I would tend to disagree. I think if, if the price is marked, that, is, that has been determined. That is the determinant price. Whereas if it's something like a car or a house where you can negotiate, that's where it gets indeterminate. Does that make more sense, Pianchi? makes sense to me. Yeah, the more you think about it. Yeah. Well, where else can we negotiate prices? You got houses, you got cars. Well, anything that's going to be long term. <clears throat> okay. Rent. You know, if you have a, if you have a gasoline. lease, I guess you can, uh, how do you negotiate gasoline? You pay at the pump or you don't. If you are uh, if you a service like a ambulance service, you can negotiate. Uh, if, if you're oh, buying it in bulk to satisfy a fleet, yeah. So anything you buy in bulk, you can. So now that's interesting. So 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 in that respect, but that's not. I was thinking individually, uh, but in terms of of a group or a company, if a company is buying, you know, if a hotel chain's buying, you know, bed sheets, <laughs> it's like time to replace our bed sheets with you know Mike Lindell's Giza sheets. They won't do that. They're too expensive, I'm sure. But anyway, if they wanted to do that, that would change. That would have an effect on the on the price because because bulk buying changes it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when the, when stores offer two for one. You know, a BOGO, you know, buy one, get one. I love BOGOs. You know, that changes things too. So, but, uh, and then it's up to them, but it's still up to them to offer it. It's still up to you to accept it or not. You know, I've, I've had, if somebody's offering, uh, you know, diet soda, you know, two for one, I'm not going to buy it. I don't care what the price, I don't care how low the price is because I hate diet soda. I hate soda in general, but I would never buy that. So for me, it has no utility whatsoever. So they can lower the price as much as they want, which means price is not determinate. It's, uh, there are other factors whether I actually want what that, what the product is. Hmm. Let me go on more. There's, there's more here. He says also money is not an externality in reality. Hmm. That's interesting. It is about as internal as you can get and omitting money, credit, and a quadrillion dollars worth of derivatives from the models is missing reality. The real reason economists didn't see the crisis coming, this is 2008 he's talking about, was because they ignored its entangled quantum nature which is what quantum economics attempts to do. He says, just as quantum physics differs in fundamental ways from classic physics, quantum economics differs in neoclass- from neoclassical economics in a number of key aspects. Well, let's go through a few. Neoclassical economics is based on expected utility theory, 
which combines utility theory to model people's preferences and probability theory to model expectations under uncertainty. However, the field of quantum cognition calls these assumptions into question since people don't necessarily have fixed preferences or base their decisions on probability theory. Now, I'm questioning whether this is even that important. <laughs> you know, but I think I know this is going to come back at us. Some government agencies are going to say, well, in the quantum economic theory, we have to raise taxes or something like that. But uh, utility, I guess utility is what? How useful something is to you? Isn't that, isn't that what the utility is? And they can measure that somehow? Is that what economists do? And that determines your preferences? Do you ever have basic economics? I'm just curious. I never paid too much attention about that aspect of aspect of it on the utilities, but the you know utilities are pretty long time. Uh, I'm sorry, long term standard prices are fixed prices. They don't usually don't go up and down that much. No, utility theory is how useful something is to you. It's not uh, the actual utilities, the power suppliers. It's a little different. You may have uh, had a different. Uh, Interpretation there. Yeah. All right. Um, let me give you another one here. Neoclassical economics <clears throat> assumes, excuse me, that people act independently while making economic decisions. Quantum economics notes that financial actors are part of an entangled system as in quantum game theory. I don't know anything about quantum game theory. I have to look that up too. It's got a little link to it, but uh, that's what we were talking about earlier when you were talking about bulk purchases. So does classical economics assume that all actors are individual? making individual decisions from, from fixed preferences based on utility. That's what it seems to be saying. And that theory doesn't make sense, not to me. All right, let me try another one. Economics sees itself as the science of scarcity. Quantum economics stresses the importance of financial transactions, and in particular the role of money as an active force in the economy. For example, in the way that it entangles debtors and creditors through loans. Well, if money's not just active force in the economy, money kind of is the economy, isn't it? Money is the medium of exchange. You know, money is the, the accumulation of property, the, the potential to buy things. Money, money drives the economy. What would an economy be without money? A barter system? That wouldn't be an economy. Money is the economy, I think. Pianchi? Well, you know, after the advent of the increase in minimum wage, mm-hmm. and then you turn around and look at this high inflation, I think they would have been better off to have left their wage where it was. It's, it's been an albatross. Well, inflation, if you take um, the cause of inflation, is government printing of money, lowering the value of the dollar. So did the lowering of the value of the dollar, the lowering of the purchase price of a dollar, cause people to want to raise the minimum wage so they could get back to the previous purchasing power they had with a lower minimum wage? There's a question. So is not the raising of the minimum wage not a cause of inflation, but a reaction to it? Or there's another way. That raising the minimum wage. I think is, that is people. Not, go ahead. Go ahead. I think that people couldn't buy. Were having a hard time making ends meet, so they got an increase in minimum wage, and then the suppliers seen the opportunity to raise the cost of supplies again. Hmm. So it's like uh, 
a dog chasing his tail and never catch up. So didn't they really change the definition of what a minimum wage is? Because the minimum wage used to be a minimum wage. It's the least amount that an employer can pay for any job. That's the minimum. It had nothing to do with your cost of living. It had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with the employee at all, really. It, really, it's a, it was simply, that's how, you know, and below that it was considered, you know, illegal. You know, that uh, it was like slave labor or, or indentured servitude. If you're paying people less than a minimum, you're exploiting people. You get them to work for, for below, you know, what's, what's human uh, dignity and respect and just regular basic stuff. Well, maybe those aren't the right terms. But anyway, you couldn't pay less than a minimum wage because that was, that was some kind of servitude. I think that's how it started. Somewhere along the way, that interpretation changed and people started saying, well, wait a minute. You know, minimum wage, if I'm working 40 hours on a minimum wage, I should be able to support myself. Well, that's arbitrary because how are you supporting yourself? Are you supporting yourself with an apartment you can't afford, a car you can't afford, you know, food you can't afford? Or are you, you know, and that, and then the question is, is the minimum wage based on what you need or is it based on what the company should pay? See, I think it's based on what the company should pay. What you need is on you. And if you need more than minimum wage, you either work two jobs, you find higher paying jobs, you can get an education and do something so you can earn more money. That's what I did. And that's what I did with uh, Action Radio. Well, I agree with you because yeah. one of the, the downfall, one of the pitfalls with raising the minimum wage, you had a high school dropouts because they figured they could go to work and make money mm-hmm. than what sitting up in the classroom. Yeah, so minimum wage should be the minimum tolerable by society for what a company should pay for a job, and whether it's a one-person shop or whether it's you know Exxon. <laughs> But that's the minimum that should be paid for a job. People should not work for less than this wage. And that's on the company to make sure they pay that wage. But it's turned into what people need to afford a particular lifestyle. And that's never what it's about. You know, you don't, uh, wages, uh, and I've had this argument before with people too. A wage is not what you need to live on. And you don't get a raise because you have another kid. A wage is value to the company, you know, less than what you make for them. So your wage is based on you generating more income from the company than the cost of your wage. Otherwise, there's no point in hiring you. There's no profit in it. There's no, there's, no, there's no gain. If you cost the company more money than you produce, you know, if you produce you know, 50 bucks an hour for the company and they're paying you $75 an hour, they're losing $25 an hour in value. Well, that doesn't make sense. But you may want that well, $75 an hour you for your, you know, your boat payment. What's that? What happened to the old mainstay called supply and demand? In terms of what? How does that fit in? Well, if you are working in a job where there's a great demand for what that job produces, then quite naturally you're going to be paid more than if you were just in uh, the run-of-the-mill situation. Right. And that's independent of the minimum wage. So if you separate that out and you talk about supply and demand of labor, that's a whole different question. So the minimum wage is the least tolerable wage that society will accept a company pays for, for, for people working. That's what it should be. Now, in terms of how you can improve, you, you should not make the minimum wage. You should make you know, far above the minimum wage. So how do you do that? You get an education, make yourself more valuable. You get extra training in your company and make yourself more valuable. You become a manager and, and get supervisor training and make yourself more valuable. But what it really comes down to is you have to make yourself more valuable to the company or the person that's paying you unless you start your own company. So I am invaluable to this company. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of it. 
you know, so if I suddenly drop out of action radio, there is no more action radio. So in that respect, I'm invaluable. But am I able to generate what I think I'm worth? No, not yet. I will. So my potential income with action radio is unlimited. If I get 10 million listeners and a bunch of contracts and a bunch of national accounts, you know, and, and then I can start profit sharing, <laughs> you know, our, our income potential here is unlimited because my value that I can generate is unlimited. So that's well, you know, concept. during Obama, uh-huh. with his insurance plan, they would tax. He he wanted to tax uh, commercial construction workers, carpenters, sheet metal workers, so on, so on, so on. You know, they pay for their own uh, welfare benefits mm-hmm. by deferring putting the money on the check and applying it toward the cost of those benefits. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to consider them as being Cadillac plans, therefore being able to be taxed when you he use wanted the social security too, I think. Yeah. That was ridiculous. It was totally, mm-hmm. totally ridiculous. Well, that was and control. It seemed like again. to me they're trying to Yeah, they're trying to work their way to this universal income. How in the heck would that work? People just get paid for staying at home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Yes, it would, it would be like a, a COVID subsidy forever. So in other words, you deserve money simply because you exist. You don't have to do anything for it. See, the fundamental principle of work in, in, uh, in our culture and most cultures is that to, earn, to get money, you have to do something for it. You have to provide a product or a service, or you have to provide labor. So you have to provide something in order for someone else to pay you money. You know, so you can work for a company and, and get a job, but you still have to generate more money for the company than the cost of your labor. See, that's why wages go up and down. You know, why, why does, uh, why does a, a manager, why does a vice president make more money than uh, an entry-level employee? Well, because the vice president has far more responsibility. They're responsible for maybe the entire division of a, of a potentially very large company, millions upon millions of dollars, and their decisions matter. But because they generate so much money, more money for the company, they, should, they get the bigger salaries. That's just logical. And people think, well, there's a, what do they call it, wage disparity or something like that? But how much money are they generating for the company? <clears throat> how much money does the, the chairman of Boeing generate for Boeing when Boeing sells, you know, 100 737s? That's a lot of money. That's billions of dollars. So if you pay him a few million, he's worth it or she's worth it. Right? Because they're generating that money. Yeah. How, about a sports, how about a sports player or an entertainer? How much was Frank Sinatra worth? How much joy did Frank Sinatra bring to millions of people? You know, he made millions of dollars. Records, performances, endorsements, movie roles. How many did he generate for Hollywood, the record companies, the economy, the hotels where he performed, and all that kind of stuff? So he made a ton of money, but he also generated, I'm sure he generated far more than he made even though he made millions of dollars. So his utility was huge. Now compare that to, I don't know, a McDonald's manager. Well, a McDonald's manager generates more money for McDonald's than a McDonald's employee because the manager is managing those employees, ensuring that they produce money for McDonald's too. So they would get more than the the entry-level employee. And I think of minimum wage as an entry-level position. You are starting. You don't have to know anything. Knowing nothing, having no skills, and potentially, you know, possibly no education, 
you get to go to a company and make money at a minimum amount. So, that's the, so with no skills, no experience, no time in the company, no nothing, you're still going to make a certain amount of money. That's what a minimum wage is. It's not so that you can pay rent, buy food, and have five kids. That's not what a minimum wage is all about. That's what's becoming, though, the living wage. What's a living wage? And do companies have to pay a living wage? I would say no. They pay what? They pay above minimum what, uh, you know, more than the employee uh, cost them in terms of the cost of their labor. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. I've had enough. I've had enough economics. Um, I think this theory is going to, you know, bug us at some point. I can do chaos theory next time. Chaos theory and intelligent design. I might, I might pick this up uh, tomorrow. I think we've got a free hour tomorrow. Let's see what's going on tomorrow. We got Brianna. Then we got Josie, and then we got the third. Oh, the third hour. We've got Mario Prado, who's the uh, producer. Uh, this film called The Falcon. And so, as we, as I have talked about, I am, I am an advisor. I'm a, I'm a Hollywood advisor. Uh, so Mario's going to be on too. So we'll ask him uh, some, some questions. And I'm sure there's things he can't tell us, you know. And so we'll have, we'll have. Uh, so that's going to be fun. So that's tomorrow. Tomorrow's already full. Wednesday's open. Uh, Wednesday we've got Dorothy joining us for Sex and Sensuality at nine o'clock. And before that we've got Bill Fetkey and Wendy Arthur. That's the first hour. So this is the middle hour Wednesday is open. And Thursday we have a new report starting. Uh, Diane K. Warner with uh, the election integrity report, all the election fraud that's going on these days. The show's changing. New people. It's getting exciting again. <laughs> We're having fun. Huh. I feel like we're kind of just sort of still on vacation here today. You ever hear from Gene? <laughs> from who? Gene? Not for a while. Uh, yeah. I do sometimes. For those that don't know, Gene was our producer for a while. Uh, did a fabulous job. And um, just uh, like a lot of people do, they, they do what they want to do, and then they do something else. And so Gene's uh, still around. But I do need a producer. I do need someone to call screen. Um, but I don't need somebody. Here's the, here's the weird, weird thing, though, about uh, how I'm figuring. I, I can do this myself until we get our lucky break. But I need to have someone on board because when we get our lucky break, we're going to have an amazing amount of listeners, I think, very quickly. And I don't want to be training somebody when the, the board is full. I want to have someone who knows how to do this job and call screen and produce things before we get to that point. So when we do get there, they're ready for it. So that's what I'm trying to anticipate. We'll see. But it's hard to find someone that has three hours a day to uh, kind of sit around and listen to radio and, and screen calls. We don't have enough calls yet to justify that. Because most people listen on podcasts. I think yeah. 90 to 95% of our listeners catch the show on podcasts. They don't catch it live. So I don't have a lot of calls. I have a lot of listeners. I just don't have a lot of calls. And I need a lot more listeners to be effective. Yeah. Anything else we should be covering today? Oh, I got something for you. This, uh, I was going to read this when Jonathan was here. But we're talking about uh, um, how society is going. And uh, let me read this here. It's on transhumanism. And this is from a, a new person I found who has a, a Substack article like I'm going to get. Uh, Bear Able. B-E-A-R-A-B-L-E. Bear Able. This is not our future. It's talking about transhumanism. Remember, we're talking about uh, the, the, the elites. Remember the conversation we had? I should have read it then, but I'm going to do it now. It says, uh, not our future. Transhumanism is terrorism, for it is the very antithesis of life. 
wasting precious resources on a pompous, narcissistic, and megalomaniacal dream of extending life through cold mechanical means instead of helping to improve genuine human condition, transhumanists act as modern-day terrorists who desecrate the very spirit of life and liberty without ever being held accountable. Let me tell you, as a brain scientist and a computer engineer dropout, transhumanism is to brain-computer interface what nuclear weapons are to nuclear physics. And this is from Ab Nascar Amantes, and this is from, uh, uh, I guess, something he wrote, 100 Sonnets of Servant Sultans, which is kind of interesting. That's the first one. Uh, reaction to that? I'm not a big fan of transhuman, you know, anything. I don't believe in transhuman. We're the human or we're the, not. The name, sounds, the name sounds scary to me. Transhumanism. Oh, yeah, that's what's coming. That's what the... That's what the um, the, the, the wackos. I don't know if it's the, the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset. I don't know if they want this, but transhumanism, in other words, hum, merging humans and machines. Artificial intelligence becomes our intelligence. You know, that they, they can make life go on forever if we just simply make part of us a machine. So we never wear out. These people are really weird. So that's something we might take up more on. and probably have to research more into that. Here's a quote I do like, though. He says, nature loves courage. You make the commitment and nature will respond to that commitment by removing impossible obstacles. Dream the impossible dream, and the world will not grind you under. It will lift you up. This is the trick. This is what all these teachers and philosophers who really counted, who really touched the alchemical gold, that's alchemy, this is what they understood. This is the shamanic dance in the waterfall. This is how magic is done, by hurling yourself into the abyss and discovering it's a feather bed. And the person who wrote that is Terrence McKenna. And the last little thing, it says, we have another path, let's take it. And so I read this to be pretty much what we're doing at Action Radio. So I wrote a uh, um, post on the person's Facebook page who, who posted this. It's all the same person, Bear Abel. Uh, both of those quotes I just read you. And so I'm thinking to myself, that's us. That's what we do here. You know, if nature loves courage, I believe we have courage. You know, making the stance that we make, taking the stance we do, and possibly having you know, somebody knock on our door. <laughs> that may happen one day for someone that wants to uh, you know, interview me right now. So you know, I guess I better be ready. Uh, it says, you make the commitment and nature will respond to that commitment by removing impossible obstacles. That's like the Sermon on the Mount. Knock and the door will be open, right? Dream the impossible dream and the world will not grind you under. Well, there's Don Quixote. It will lift you up. I said, this is the trick. This is what all these teachers and philosophers who really counted, who really touched the alchemical gold or alchemical gold, this is what they understood. This is the shamanic dance in the waterfall. This is how magic is done by hurling yourself into the abyss and discovering it's a feather bed. In other words, it's not that bad to dream the impossible dream, hurl yourself in and see what happens. Well, I did that and stuff's happening, you know, both good and challenging. But here we are. And he says, we have another path. Let's take it. So I wrote him back and I said, we're taking that other path. We are another path. Not the only path, but we're another path. And I'll see what happens when they get back to me. Those are my closing thoughts on this Monday as we come back from vacation. Yeah? Well done. Well done. Here, 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 here. <laughs> Thank you. Let me play a, a, a little musical selection to take us to the top of the hour. I've been, I've been collecting, I've been having a little fun with my soundtracks here. So let me play something that goes on for a couple of minutes here. You know, another thing, too, uh, I hear uh-huh. what the, I see where the UK is imposing a law. Some, you know, somebody say I'm going to kill myself, and you would say, "Well, go ahead, I don't care." Well, mm-hmm. you can be subjected to prosecution. Oh my goodness! 
Wait, is this the same place where they have voluntary suicides where if you don't take a vaccine, they think you have a mental disease? (laughs) Are we talking Canada here or where are we talking? Did you hear about that? Yeah. Not directly, but I wouldn't imagine it is. Yeah. I got a a jazz piece here. And so we got a few minutes. I'm going to play something, a little extended music here. I'm, I'm trying to get as much variety in the show as I can. So I've got, this is uh, St. James Jazz. So this will take about four minutes. Anyway, it's just, we've got some music for us to let us out. Any, any, uh, and then I'll play a couple of announcements and things like that. Anything else, Pianchi? I think we pretty covered. Pretty well covered it, I'll catch right. you tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks, Pianchi. Yeah, it's, it's hard to do economics and make it fun and interesting. I think we tried. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to do that every day. Don't worry. But uh, I'll play a little music and come back with a couple of announcements. But we're back tomorrow at 7 a.m. at 7 a.m. Uh, Central Time. Uh, tomorrow being Tuesday. So we'll see you then after a little bit of jazz to kind of put you in a good mood for the rest of the day.
This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.